Hello, welcome, bienvenue, konnichiwa, ni hao, jambo, marhaba. It's time for the Armist Inquisition yet again. Episode 274 on Sunday, the 19th of March, 2023. Happy Mother's Day, everyone, in the UK. Mm. All the ladies out there, all the milfs and gilfs in the country. <laughs> all the gilfs. Ah, I'm Phil. I'm Ben. I'm Matt. And uh, we're very happy to be joined tonight by Mark Steves from the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast. How you doing, Bob? What's up? Glad to be here back on the Amish Inquisition. Phil, always good to see you. Matt and Ben, great to meet you. Hey, mm. great to meet you too, Mike. Yeah, we reckon it's been about a year. We've been uh, very busy in, t- in the interim, and you've been pumping out content. What are you averaging? About three shows a week now? Sometimes I'll put out three a week, sometimes two. But yeah, yeah, three a week. And I believe last time we spoke, did we talk about Skull and Bones, Phil? Because I, I, I do want to get into a little bit more of that today. And I feel like uh, I've updated my uh, sort of thesis in a very broad and, and uh, well, I don't want to talk myself up too much. Maybe you guys won't agree with this. So it's going to be interesting. It's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a dive into secret societies from an angle that maybe uh, you might not expect. Really? Excellent. Skull and, and Bones, that gro- Smith Grove? Bohemian Word Grove. Grove. Is that it? The same, mm-hmm. same sort of thing? It, ah. you're, you're, you're thinking in, this, in the right realm. Bohemian yes. Grove is kind of connected to Skull and Bones, but... You're you're wrong because they're they're actually at Yale University. So uh, that's, okay. yeah, Bohemian Grove's all the way on the other side of the US in, in California. These guys are are really actually older than the country itself. I mean not skull and bones, but the school, Yale University was started in seventeen oh one. So uh, older than the United States. Um but yeah. I seem to remember last time we spoke that you were you went in there. To Yale University, were you snooping around in there, yeah. trying to get some some intel on Skull and Bones? Well, yes, yes. I mean, let's let's <laughs> allegedly, <put> it, uh, <laughs> allegedly. <laughs> no, it's not a it's not that big of a deal. It's it's actually an open campus for the most part. There are some places that require like a student pass, but uh, I was a delivery delivery guy. driver. It's yeah, coming back for, to me now. Yeah. Yeah, for a bakery. So I actually had the opportunity to go into places where maybe only students were allowed because I was delivering bread. And uh, yeah, it was quite an interesting uh, jaunt for somebody who was already interested in secret societies and, and this sort of esoteric imagery, you know, to find myself on the job looking up over my shoulders at these, you know, carvings on the wall and different 
pieces of art, statues, the architecture itself. I mean, it just seeps esotericism and um, it's not by accident. You know, it's not just to make the place look spooky. It's actually, I think, uh, a part of uh, a sort of spell, a sort of magic that they uh, cast in stone. They, they literally lay it in stone I and mean, with cement, they pour it into place, right? I mean, these are uh, actions that have a sort of energetic effect on the landscape. And uh, we sort of touched on that before we started recording. You guys mentioned you might be going out to a megalithic site. And these places off, often attract that kind of attention because the ancients clearly knew where to build these structures, right? You know, whether it's Stonehenge or the Great Pyramid, they're not only aligned to the space on the ground, but they're aligned to, you know, certain aspects of the stars in the sky. So a lot of thinking, a lot of planning goes into building these amazing, you know, wonders of the world, like the pyramids or Stonehenge, the Avebury. But even more, I'd argue, goes into something like a city. And New Haven, Connecticut, which is one of the oldest cities in the United States, has that going on. It's it's actually something you folks might be a little more familiar with, given that the nine-square grid was a common way of laying out a town in Europe, right? So you guys might actually have towns in Europe or in, in England where, you know, there's a nine square grid at the center, right? And you have a center square where everything kind of goes down. You have the church, maybe the burial ground, the old burial ground nowadays, and uh, maybe like the, you know, place where people come together for holidays and celebrations and things like that. Well, New Haven was created in that same way. And as, you know, urbanization industry comes in, they conform to that nine square grid where in other places maybe, uh, they didn't. And yeah, there's a sort of esotericism uh, that we're going to examine today. But I feel like I just went off <laughs> off to the races here. I just hit the pedal to the metal. So I'll let you guys ask some questions before I start rambling off. No, the only sort of um, city layouts I can remember looking into was uh, Washington was the famous one. Um, the sort of the the is it a pentagram? Is there a, is there a giant pentagram encoded yeah. in some of the monuments like the Capitol building and um, Washington <laughs> Monument and various other things? I think it might have been on like the Zeitgeist movie or something like that. It's, this, we're going back years and years and years, but yeah, mm. I never even considered to look at like uh, smaller cities or towns to see if there was any sort of uh, occult information. Um, uh, or information occulted within the city plan, but you're, mm. you're 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 fairly convinced that this is something that's going on in in other cities and towns. Yeah, well, nowadays, you know, a modern planner of a city that you might not expect them to, you know, take into account something like feng shui or uh, even a religious idea of any kind. You'd think, oh, it's about mathematics, it's about design, it's about what looks good, you know. But actually, I think. The importance of art is always on what's unseen, what's unknowable, what's hard to grasp, right? That's that's the real job of an artist is to bring form to things that, you know, maybe are outside of, of tangibility, the realm of tangibility. And 
I think architecture, specifically this architecture in New Haven, is embedding a certain prophecy. It's it's actually it's it's fulfilling a sort of prophecy because the original colonists of New Haven, they felt like exiles, right? You have this, all these wars going on in Europe, in England, the Protestants are fighting the Catholics. They're, you know, going for blood. They're cutting each other's heads off. And a lot of these, uh, what were called Puritans, they were just Protestants that were sort of like, you know what, we're going to get out of here. We're going to go to America and we're going to avoid this terrible judgment that's coming because obviously these people back home are not doing things right and God's going to come and punish them. Well, that never happened, but they did leave uh, Europe and settled in America with this very extreme idea in their head that God's judgment was coming. I don't know where you guys stand on religion. I don't personally believe in, you know, this sort of idea of an apocalypse or, um, you know, final judgment, right? But there's a strong undercurrent of this belief, at least in America. Uh, you see it in some of the more far-right extreme Christian groups. So they, yeah. they, you know, they believe with their, you know, every, you know, step they take through their life that, you know, the end of the world is here, right? And they'll go door to door telling people, you know, the end of the world, you better get right with God because the end of the world's coming. So this idea has been used politically uh, in a in a sort of control way. And it's it's something that has been forgotten here in America. For the most part, people have let that part of our history fall to the wayside. They don't really remember the founding fathers or the men who came before them for having these extremist beliefs. But those extremist beliefs, I mean, were written into the American government. They were written into uh, American history and all of American history is this sort of, uh, it's this narradigm. Joseph Farrell recently uh, gave me this term, I'm borrowing, uh, a narradigm, which is a narrative paradigm. You get people to live within this narrative paradigm uh, of of the world's about to end, you know, and that's just one example. There are multiple ways that people are kind of trapped. I mean, we all just went through a really big one in the past uh, two or three years, right? Everybody was in this narradigm that there was a, you know, you know what, flying around invisibly and we were all going to succumb to it if we didn't take this, uh, you know, prescription from the uh, megalomaniac medical establishment, right? Like this is, this is what we all just avoided that narradigm. I mean, maybe it's not over yet, but historically speaking, this is something that cultures, governments have used creating these narradigms. And because religion was the primary way of doing that, um, and now it seems to be science, I thought there's got to be some sort of link between right. the old way and the new way, right? Because nowadays it's science. They're, they're using science, they're using academia to manage uh, perception of reality, right? And you know, only two, three hundred years ago, it was primarily religion that did that. But where did it change? It changed in the universities. It changed at Harvard University. It changed at Yale University, Cambridge University. Oxford and Cambridge. Yeah, Oxford. Royal Society. 
Yeah, and keep in mind that Oxford and Cambridge, they birthed Harvard and Yale because the men who started Harvard, they were all Cambridge and Oxford educated. And, and Yale was founded by all Harvard men. And we have the College of William and Mary, which is literally named after, you know, William and Mary, the, the royalty. Uh, that's the oldest college in America. But up here in New England, we have Harvard and Yale. And this whole scientific... Uh, revolution was born there and there's this sort of nexus between the art world the science that wasn't really there yet but it was sort of brewing this, this idea that god was sort of ordaining this new way of interacting with the world god was giving people like let's say for example um, not the best example, but Benjamin Franklin, right? He Everybody says he invented electricity, which, to be honest, I don't think he really, I mean, how could you invent electricity, right? That's ridiculous. But he did, he did figure out a way to use electricity. And, and people saw these types of geniuses like Franklin as inspired by God. So they saw this new uh, scientific revolution as inspired by God. Now, this is sort of a tricky situation that we're coming into because at the same time as all these beautiful, amazing things are happening, oh, you know, we have these new technologies from God. Uh, we also have, you know, the barreled rifle being invented. Uh, you have, you know, guns being able to shoot bullets at, you know, unprecedented speeds, the Winchester repeating rifle, right? So all of this technology was used to prop up the military industrial complex that was forming around literally creating America, right? I mean, we have Britain and America essentially becoming the same thing after 1812. I mean, the civil war was a, I would argue probably uh, the American civil war was probably, you know, uh, I don't know, teased out by the British and the French, right? There were there were foreign uh, sort of people, you know, in cahoots to see what would happen with the American Civil War. And I'm trying to condense a lot of history here, but my, my main thesis point is that there was never a free America. England kind of came back and was like, okay, we got you. We're all tied up with the banks. Now we're all on the same, you know, pay, pay, you know, scheme again. And ever since then, it's been this sort of lockstep to what we're seeing now. And, you know, with the right sort of uh, footnotes, I think we can make a case here that Harvard and Yale paved the way for what is essentially transhumanism and that alchemy, that metaphysics, you know, the mystery schools, they're sort of uh, reborn in the universities. And that's what leads to these, we'll say, esoteric goals like transhumanism. I mean, you know, it's, it's a, an inherently a religious idea. Uh, it's a religious ideology, but they're giving it to us as if it's scientific. They're giving it to us as if it's something that's, you know, new and novel, but, you know, 
you read the work of Zachariah Sitchin, take him for what he's worth. Uh, he talks about how the ancients were, you know, modifying people's genetics and cloning and creating chimeras. And what are they doing now? I mean, they're essentially doing just that. So there are, there are thoughts that, you know, Francis Bacon was Shakespeare. Okay. There, there are some people that think, no, it was a whole group. Well, either way, the mind of Shakespeare certainly kind of created the modern mindset in some, at least the scaffolding for it, we'll say. And this sort of idea of the new Atlantis was America, right? It was sort of... Francis, that's Francis Bacon. Yeah, it was, sort, it was sort of... But it was sort of it was sort of something that everybody was obsessed with. Like I said, there was this religious idea that, you know, God's judgment was coming. And Francis Bacon wasn't the only one who thought, okay, this other land out here is gonna be a great place for us to seek refuge from whatever judgment is coming. So you have Francis Bacon and all these other minds at the time carving out the new world and basically using what they know from old world magic to create a sort of template, a magical template here in America. Now, what that evolved into, I think is sort of, it's, it's dark. It's certainly dark. I mean, you look at like the history of America, we're a nation perpetually at war, right? <laughs> Uh, we're also a nation that's probably killed more, you know, uh, indigenous people than any other. I mean, there are contenders for that. I think the Belgians are probably equal, but uh, but America, I mean, certainly wiped out a huge, you know, group of people that were here. Um, and it's a complicated history. You know, I'm not trying to become some like apologist for the crimes of the past or anything like that or... or make people, you know, feel guilty for something that they weren't even a part of. But there there does you know, there 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 does there is this hypocrisy from the universities where now they want to enforce this identity politics, right? They want people to feel bad for the victims of colonialism. Meanwhile, they're the damn colonialists. And not only are they the colonialists, but they're like peak colonialists. Like they've been powerful since the colonial times and have made an impact on the way the world has changed, right? We're talking about automobiles. The first man to ever synthesize gasoline from rock oil. Uh, I forget. I think it's vapor distillation. His father did it with vinegar and then he did it with oil and they realized, wow, we can make a shit ton of money off of this. And the whole world changed, right? I mean, think about how much the world's just changed from automobiles and gas-powered vehicles, right? I mean, airplanes, boats, it's all changed. And it all happened at a place like Yale University. And I haven't even showed you guys any pictures yet, but when you see some of the pictures, you're going to ask yourself, like, what were these guys thinking when they when they designed these buildings, you know? Because it, it looks like Paris, like with the Gothic towers, but then it looks like Egypt with weird tombs and temples, and then it looks like London with the nine squares. And 
names like, you know, George Street and York Street and, you know, all the other Orange Street, right? I mean, it, it's it's straight out of the out of the old world. It's this sort of hodgepodge, this alphabet soup of what they felt like would be most potent because that's exactly what they were doing. They were trying to lay out a spell here. All of the Native Americans, whoever they were, I've talked to some people who think they were half Scandinavian, half Chinese. I've talked to some people who say that Welsh and and the Phoenicians and so many other nations from the Mediterranean and Africa were were sailing across the Atlantic mm-hmm. before Columbus. So there's this whole story we're given that doesn't add up, and it's it's given to us by the same people who not only settled the New World, but they were primarily the only ones to do it really successfully, right? And I only speak English, so I don't know what the Spanish are saying about the new world, but I'm sure they have stories in Brazil and South America about the colonial period that don't check up with the English version, right? I mean, the Spanish were historically the first people to really explore this area. So, yeah, I, I well, think there's... You get this process of selective editing of history then, don't you? And again, through in the, through the institutions, the people who are, who are uh, educated get told a certain version of history and, and you have the levers of that history and you can decide what gets put in, what gets left out, what paints well, and, us in, the be- in a better light. And, and people think, you know, from, from 2023 looking back, you're like, well, it, it's just too perfect. How could somebody control reality and manage perception to a T to the point where they're able to like cover their own tracks in the snow behind them? And I'd say it's because... When you look at Cambridge, Oxford, Yale, and Harvard, you see that they paved the way for all the other universities to make, you know, their their uh, sort of stand. Because before, uh, I mean, even for the most part of of Yale and Harvard and Oxford, Cambridge's history, they were religious schools, right? They were teaching the Bible. They were teaching people how to become ministers. I mean, they had some uh, liberal arts and and things like that. Law obviously was a big part of it, but uh, for the most part, it was centered around religion. And then you see this shift and it comes from groups like the Hartlib circle, Samuel Hartlib, who was sort of a Rosicrucian precursor. So you have this movement during the Renaissance of these secret societies, Rosicrucians that then kind of become Freemasons and they all have this common goal of well, we're not going to control people using religion in the Bible anymore. We're going to control people using this new statecraft, using science, using logic, right? And they've been very successful at that. And I'm not, you know, some anarchist who wants the whole world to burn down. uh, But I think people should recognize the occult and esoteric uh, aspects of our history if only to diffuse the the power of these, you know, secret societies so that they don't take it any further. I mean, because we can see from the 2023 perspective where this is leading to, where it could go. I mean, especially given what's gone down in the past four or five years. So I wonder if yeah. um, I wonder if part of the shift from the religious basis to the scientific one, uh, the sort of apocalyptic religious views, often called millenarianism, 
and it's this uh, sort of end of the world culture, if you like. And there's a famous example from the Reformation period that happened in Munster in Germany with the Anabaptists. And uh, this, uh, these Anabaptists took over the city of Munster and they were led by this guy called Jan van Leyden, I think he was called. And uh, it was the same thing. It's almost like a cult. The end is nigh. You need to stay here. God has divined that Munster is the city where people within our borders will be saved. We will be raptured. And the problem is he gives a date. He says it's going to happen on Easter, 1634, whatever it was. And so what mm. happens, the date comes and God doesn't show up. But So if, if he can sort of parlay the religious millenarianism into something else that isn't uh, time-stamped in that kind of way, it gives you a bit more flexibility and just keep the, keep the game running ad infinitum then, can't you? Well, and, and beautiful point, because look at how they're doing it now. They're doing it with carbon credits and cow farts and and <laughs> so you're you're nailing it. Phil, well, you, you can I'm, just I, move on to another subject every six months, yeah. right? It's, it's nuclear right. Armageddon at the minute. That's that's the the current uh, end of the world millenarianism. It's uh, thermonuclear war. Mm, that's what people. If you go on Twitter, World War Three is trending. You know, again, a couple of years ago, it was the Soviet Union. We're all going to die because of something in the air that we can't see or whatever. And, you know, when people get bored of World War Three, they get used to it, they'll move on, to some, they'll find something else. We're like, we were saying carbon, uh, climate change, global climate warming change. That's going to, you know, that's the sort of... The thing is, they keep putting dates on that one. You remember that Al Gore documentary, mm-hmm. An Inconvenient Truth? You know, Miami's supposed to be underwater by now, isn't it? Going right. to that documentary. You know, so they, they fucked up on that one. Al did, Al did bless him. He put too many concrete predictions in there, which can be proved to be false. So, but yeah, go this on. is the mechanism of control, you know, and it, and it's how they've they've kept themselves, you know. And who's the they? You know, I'm not. I'm not lizard going, people in it. Well, you know, I I think we could spend some time talking about that. You know, I, I think the they who are managing perception, managing reality for the majority of people. Uh, are, you know, the likely suspects. They're people in monarchies. They're people behind huge companies. I mean, obviously, when you have some power, you want to hang on to it, right? But it seems like there's something even more secretive than than the likely suspects. It seems like there's something, again, religious about this elite uh, where they're practicing let's say like a mystery school religion that separates people from the rest of us right because what are we given if you're if you're christian you're given a baptism okay now you're a human being into the world that's your rite of passage right there's a confirmation maybe if you're catholic right but for the most part we don't really have rites of passage you get married you have kids that's maybe a rite of passage you graduate college Okay, that's a rite of passage. But in certain cultures, I'd argue that, you know, healthier individuals uh, come about because they have, you know, rigid, uh, you know, rites of passage, especially indigenous cultures where maybe at 15 or 16, you may do some sort of ceremony with your elders, your you know, fathers there and maybe your mother, depending on whether you're a male or female. And 
you go through some sort of fright, some sort of torment, right? You're made to be uh, afraid of, of your, you know, elders. Maybe they're wearing a mask or something. And then you're left to fend for yourself and kind of prove your worth. And we don't have that anymore. We don't, we don't have that in society. It's not regimented. It's not, you know, something that I think is thought of, but it is thought of in the elite circles and they do that to each other. I mean, skull and bones is one example of it. They do all sorts of, uh, we'll say rituals, but that's just one of, of many of these secret societies. Do, do skull and bones have like a, an initiation, right? That you're aware of. Absolutely. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of talk about, you know, what exactly goes on. Um, there have been some people that have left Skull and Bones and, and claim to have said things, you know, like uh, uh, people who have talked to reporters. But really, it's very few. And I question those accounts because it seems like it's like, you know, uh, a red herring or something or straw man, you know, made to just throw people off the real trail. But it seems like they, they essentially follow the same mystery school playbook of put someone through a sort of fake death, right? And then they're reborn after having this near-death experience, maybe actually going outside of their body, their you know astral self leaves their physical body for the first time. If you provoke that in somebody... You know, they're going to believe whatever you say when you come back, especially if they have no information about that kind of thing going on. Maybe they've never even heard of an astral projection or the fact that they have an astral body. And then you're given a near-death experience and, you know, you come back from from that experience. You're going to probably take that group pretty seriously, you know, unless you you know a thing or two. Uh, but this is something that apparently the assassins did, right, with drugs, the hashashins, uh, as they're sometimes called. Um, and the Templars allegedly did it as well. Now, some of the more salacious rumors about Skull and Bone, I don't know how true these are, again, is that they're made to lie naked in a coffin and confess all of their deepest, darkest secrets, which if you're going to be managing people who you expect to go into politics... Well, you'll want them to have some blackmail on them, obviously. So there is an uh, aspect of, of sort of confession that comes along with it. And it's interesting because, you know, confession is like a Catholic thing, right? It's, it's a part of the Catholic Church to confess. And I think there's a political reason why the Vatican began that practice <laughs> or whichever Catholic father, you know. Yeah, you I don't remember J.C. ever talking about confession, no, no, I don't no. think JC ever talks about con- confession, but I I think it was it was meant to be like you know you figure out who's doing what in your town, you know. I mean, think about it in a in a smaller town perspective, but on a larger scale, it's a good way to sort of force trust on someone. If you have you know secrets on them, they have secrets on you. You sort of force trust, right? It's sort of this non consensual trust that they're all forging with one another and you know with skull and bones you are given the choice to join or not you're tapped you know each student that signs up for or that goes to Yale knows that if they're popular they're probably going to be tapped there's like 40 or 50 
societies. Not all of them are secret at Yale. And uh, for the most part, there's five to eight that are kind of like the old secret societies. But think about that. Skull and Bones is the only one most people have heard about, yet there's 40 of these societies, and five to eight of them, I'm going to just say eight because I don't know specifically if all of these are secret or not, but there are secret societies at Yale, at Harvard, at Columbia, at Rutgers, at Princeton. So what's really going on here? We're sending our children to these schools. They're being tapped into these secret societies. And I bet, you know, you don't get tapped unless you're, there's a nepotistic aspect to it. You know, you don't get tapped unless your family is important, right? So there's this sort of funneling of power that's gone on since, well, since about the beginning of this country, because Skull and Bones was formed in 1832. The, the Revolutionary War wasn't finished until 1785, and it really wasn't finished for all that long because the War of 1812 started up, you know, how many decades later? Two decades later. So, you know, America's been perpetually at war, and then Skull and Bones comes about at Yale. We have these, you know basically opium traders who start it, they get it really quickly in cahoots with some weapons manufacturers. And then next thing you know, they're funding the Nazis in World War One. So, and then World War Two happens. The, these guys are, are the guys behind the atom bomb, Skull and Bones members. Uh, so it just, the, the history adds up and really what it feels to me is that there is a prophecy going on where they believe that through their membership in Skull and Bones, they're sort of like ordained by God to bring about this judgment, this end of the world scenario. And, And this is something that, you know, I think at the highest levels of most secret societies is what's going on. They're they're They believe in... (laughs) rebuilding the Temple of Solomon. And this is why the Middle East has been in conflict since 1967, right? I mean, and probably for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before that, I think it was just cooling off for a few decades and then picked right back up again. And America was right there. England obviously helped Israel become a thing. But, you know, we, we have this obviously touchy subject with conspiracies regarding the Jews. And I'm not an expert on a lot of that. So I'll just keep my comments. I wonder, I wonder if Skull and Bones had some levers on the British parliament in, in 1948 when the Balfour declaration was signed and oh, Israel was trained. You wonder, yeah, it I makes you wonder. Surprised. I mean, we're talking just after world war two. There's so our countries are so closely related uh, politically, uh, ideologically. Uh, the network is is there for all to see, but you wonder just what you know, just how closely connected we are. And I've we've spoke to a lot of guys in your country who think that it's the UK pulling the strings of America. You know, we're we're like the uh, we've got like a, a giant USA sock puppet. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't know if there's any truth in that. I think after World War II, you pretty much dominated us with the, the crippling national debt and all the rest of it. So we'll yeah. let's believe, I don't know. I would I would probably agree there. You know, I think after World War II, the power left 
na- nations and went into these private circles, you know, and, and I think, you know, there's probably British interests in some of those circles, but for the most part, like you guys in, in England are just like us in the States, you know, you're, you're victim to a shitty government that doesn't care about you and, you know, probably uses you. Uh, so yeah, you know, again, I'm not an expert on that, but I think that's a good estimation. And it seems like England and, and the United States, you know, at least at some point in our history, we're essentially the same because we have these founding fathers. Some of them were more, you know, French Freemasonic. They had that faction. And then you have the more English sort of order of Cincinnati faction of Freemasons in the founding father group. And it seems like the, the more English sort of won that, uh, that dispute, the inner dispute, it wouldn't have been, you know, much more than just a political sort of maybe ideological battle. I don't think they were actually fighting with each other because uh, they were all kind of aligned. You know, these are these are elites we're talking about. These are titans of their, their day. They're generals and, you know, in charge of all sorts of wealth. Yeah, and- these groups, these networks, they transcend national boundaries. Right. They're, they're global in nature rather than national. Well, and and there is this idea to bring Israel back up that England is sort of like, uh, you know, a carry-on of the bloodline from that time period. Like the bloodline of Christ went through Europe and eventually made its way into England. That's the thought. Oh, right. Are we talking sort of Merovingian? Right, right, Or are we talking Joseph of Arimathea, Glastonbury? Either way, there's there's that idea. There's that idea floating around, which to me is kind of interesting when you look at the thought that the colonists had here in the States when they were settling America. They thought that the Native Americans were sort of like uh, Jews that escaped the flood. And they right. were like Babylonian, Babylonian, Sumerian, you know, and they had just been like, you know, left over here for a long time and weren't worthy of Have staying you- have you, have you had Anthony Stokes on your show? No, I'd like to talk to him, though. Uh, oh, I'll send you a link because he was talking about, he reckons he'd found evidence for uh, Jews, Hebrew texts in oh, North yeah. America from the, um, not the Azilic, was it the Azilic period? From the, the sacking of uh, the first temple by the Babylonians, so six, what would that be, 630, 650 BC? And he reckoned that there was uh, an emigration then. It's pretty wild. It's highly speculative, wild, but probably up your street, Mark, to be honest. Well, in my state, where I'm from, Connecticut, there's a mountain, and uh, in on top of this mountain, one of these mountains, there's uh, Hebrew inscriptions on a rock. I think that's and, the one, yeah. And, you know, people say, oh, it's just a forgery, or, oh, it's some colonists that put it there, but it really doesn't make sense if you look at the history of that part of the state, there weren't a lot of people running around through there. It was mostly Native Americans uh, up until maybe 260 years ago, really not that long in terms of history. So, um, yeah, yeah, that is interesting. And there's there's tons of evidence that points to 
pre-Columbian voyages from Mediterranean cultures, and they definitely would have been familiar, if not Jewish. You know, they would have maybe known about Jews or even had copies of the Bible. Who knows? I'm, I mean, I'm sure there's been Roman shipwrecks found off the the northeast coast. Yeah, yeah um, there's all sorts of relics that are are found. There's pottery shards by the tons that you know. But it's getting back to that point you made before about the writing of history. Mm. So, you know, we, we were sold a certain tale of the conquest of America. You know, that's why you have Columbus Day, which is absolutely fucking ridiculous. Columbus Day, the day that Christopher Columbus discovered the new world by accident. You know, it's, it's an absolute <laughs> yeah. nonsense. It's not how history was. And we're just started, sort of starting to figure that out now, 500 years after the fact. Yeah, and, uh, you know... Whether you like it or not, Columbus Day is over now. They call it Indigenous Day uh, now, which is, I, I kind of like that better. At least yeah. they get some recognition, you know. Uh, African Americans get a whole month, and Native Americans, this is their land. They only get a day. So, you know, oh. at least it's at least it's something. They didn't have anything before that. So, yeah. but yeah, that is, you know, if we're going to talk about who's got, who got the raw end of the deal it's it's definitely the native americans and you know we don't really even have uh a full understanding of who they were pre uh european contact there's you know a lot of the history and archaeology that's been kind of swept to the side you know there's this whole story uh of, of giants in the new world and native americans have tons of stories of giants and some of them sound like big Vikings, you know, and then we start adding up the the stories about the, the Scandinavians coming over through the northern Atlantic. Maybe there were these roving bands of Vikings that were here in America. And, you know, this is a part of why we don't get any of this history, because it's all very political. You know, when England and France and, uh, you know, Dutch, the Dutch came, they didn't want any other European you know, sovereignty here. They wanted to claim it. They wanted it to be theirs and they fought each other for the land that was here. So they, you know, if there were Welsh tribes, which there are stories of Welsh tribes here in America, you know, they wouldn't have recorded that or wanted that history recorded because it goes against that political narrative of, oh, it's our land. We claimed it. You know, we put the first charter, you know, we had the first settlers and it's all BS, really. I mean, when you look at the history, the Native Americans had been trading with Europeans for thousands of years. So there was no, you know, oh, they were isolated Stone Age people that could only build teepees and, and spears. I mean, uh, that whole history is is kind of uh, a myth. It's just a, a myth that was prom promulgated to keep people uh, away from questioning that political genocide, really, that... that took place you know it was a genocide and then a political sort of genocide in the sense that they have no rights to their own home you yeah. know i mean think about that you'd go to another country and say okay all of you have to leave and we're going to take all your you know the story of what this place was we're just going to change it you know romania goodbye this is now mark's land and every all the romanians have to leave 
and only Mark and his homies can be here. And that's it. You know, like Mark's land started in 2022 and not before that, nothing happened. They're all just stone age idiots. They didn't even have wheels. You know, how insulting would that be to the Romanians? They'd probably kill me if they heard this podcast. So <laughs> yeah, I, I think, I think, you know, it's, it's funny but it's it's definitely true, you know. It, there's a truth to that, you know. That there are people here in the the states that, you know. Again, I'm not trying to make anyone feel bad because it's not. It's just the way it is. It's just the way it is. But I think historically we need to start thinking about things the way they happened, and then we can repeat mistakes less, right? I mean, that's yeah. the goal is to learn from history. So you've just reminded me because. Um, you know, we were saying sort of if, if you want to learn about North American history pre-15th century, we're kind of reliant on the oral tradition from the Native Americans. And you had someone on your show a few weeks ago. Do you remember who it was? He was a, uh, an indigenous guy, yeah, an older guy. Lauren. Yeah, well, Lauren. He was Lauren in- Jeffries. It was incredible. Uh, anyone who's interested in this sort of stuff, you should listen to it. It's one of my uh, favorite shows you've done, actually. Is that his book? This is his book. Yeah, it doesn't get enough press. You know, he's kind of a old, he's an old man and, you know, he's an Indian. He doesn't, he barely uses a computer. So I don't know. I feel like I'm his marketing guy now. I'm talking about <laughs> his book all the time. You know, he's great. He's such a good guy. I talk to him on the phone a lot, but he, uh, he, he's somebody who's a part of one of these secret societies that keep the traditions of the native Americans and they have their own secret societies, which is interesting considering the history of America has been so affected by secret societies, French, English, and even Dutch. I mean, the Dutch don't keep a lot of secrets it seems, but I think they had a few secret societies. Um, And yeah, the, the native Americans did too, the, the Midowen and then the group he's a part of, I I shouldn't say because a, I don't remember it, <laughs> so I'll mess it up if I try. And he he doesn't he doesn't like to talk about it because they're even to this day they're very protective about this history because they quite know right. Yeah, it so. was fascinating because it was like he was talking a lot of philosophy, like the Native American philosophy, and it was just really interesting to hear it from the horse's mouth because we just do not get exposed to this stuff in our in the West in our modern culture. His, his take on things, on life. I mean, he was talking about the meaning of life and stuff like that from a, a, an ancient Native American perspective, and I was just blown away. Well, he's definitely old, but I don't think he's ancient. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it is, it is, it is interesting. And, and Lauren's book that I just showed you guys, The Sacred Count, for anyone listening, is uh, it's about the Mayan long count. And... There's some very complicated mathematics involved in that. And, and Lauren is trying to, uh, well, I think he has. This is far out of my realm of expertise, but we did talk about it on a show that's going to be coming out soon. He's he's basically deciphered the long count. He thinks he's figured it out. He thinks wow. he's got it. So, And I don't know what that means because it's above my pay grade, but... <laughs> I haven't read his book yet, so maybe I'll have more to say after I read his book. But The Sacred Count, definitely uh, interesting. And 
you know, validates this case that I guess I'm trying to make here is that there's an advanced group of people here in America, many different groups of people with an advanced culture who were basically forgotten about because, you know, it didn't mesh well with the political ideal of the day, even the religious ideal of the day as well, right? And and now we have this sort of movement of people online obsessed with Tartaria, which I think, you know, I, I'm glad it exists because if it didn't, I wouldn't have, you know, become so interested in trying to figure out my own local history because I have people telling me, oh, no, there was a mud flood and 200 years ago, this was all Russian. I'm like, no, it wasn't. I have a thing in the center of my town that has the word 1647 on it because that's when this town was freaking founded. You know, it wasn't mud flooded. That that tower has been there for 400 years and I know it. So I started getting concerned like, okay, we have this potentially, you know, propagandistic narrative spreading uh, people who, who are interested in this old world stuff. I'm like, okay, let me get into this old world stuff and see what's really here from a, a conspiratorial mindset. Because I've always been interested in history, but I never had like a... I don't know, a point with reading. It's, you know, kind of, there's so much to read. It's like, what's the point, right? And now I have a point. And it's kind of like the way we would react to a news story when the news tells us some BS and you're like, hold on a second. You you do a little digging and you find out pretty quickly, okay, this is only half the truth. This is only half the story, what I'm being presented on the news. And the same thing is true when you start looking at real history books compared to maybe the ones that you got when you're in school, right? Because your teachers, they were reading this, you know, curriculum. They weren't reading actual authors. I mean, maybe they had a few fiction authors in there, but at least in the States, our curriculum is written by, you know, some Texas instruments, like some company. <laughs> in Te- yeah. It's like Texas instruments, the same company that makes calculators, calculators. makes all our, our textbooks. And it's like, what the, what do these guys know about history? Sure. They can make a calculator, but that doesn't mean they know about damn Sacagawea and Pocahontas. I mean, come on, this is crazy. So when you look at history, it, it's important to, you know, like really think about it because earth, think twice, you know, because the, our, our sources, the authority, you know, it's, it's the same group of people that, well, involve themselves in groups like skull and bones and, and aim to control the world because they think God's telling them to, you know, and I believe in God, but I don't think my, you know, my God is telling me to go like tell my neighbor to help me pay my rent. You know, like I, I have to pay my rent on my own, you know? So like, this is essentially what's going on with the elite where they're like, oh, we need to make the world better. And you guys are going to not only pay for it, but you're going to do it while we hang out over here and drink champagne and eat caviar, you know? And I'm, I'm not letting that go on. You know, I think we should start talking more about it and, and let people know, like all this money, trickery that's going on it could be avoided and we can we can maybe you know take back our sovereignty you know but it starts with realizing we've been duped and you got to go into history books to see that uh mark earlier you mentioned pictures you had pictures this is a surprise you didn't mention this i'm intrigued are these um like selfies from your last trip or something (laughs) there's a selfie in here (laughs) okay 
I don't know. I don't know if this is going to work. I will make it work if you have something. Yeah, let me see. Because you have this wonderful layout here. Oh, don't worry. You just uh, are you going to screen share? Is that the plan? Yeah. Yeah, I can. I can make that happen with the wonders of technology. Mm. Hopefully, he says, being cocky now, aren't I? Yeah. (laughs) All right, let's go. Can you see the screen? Hang on. Yes. Zoom meeting. Oh, look at that. Beautiful. Oh, gosh. I can see a bit of a pentagrammy thing going on already. Yeah. Right. I'm scared. Right. So, I'm scared. <laughs> you were very keen to point that out with uh, with Washington, D.C., and yeah. the same thing going on in New Haven uh, with this, at least with the path work here mm. in the center square of the New Haven green. So, funny enough, Washington, D.C. is actually lined up you could see here with New Haven. This is sort of a fuzzy image all the way on the left there, but that is the city ley line, uh, and it goes through most of the the cities on the eastern seaboard: Boston, New Haven, New York City, uh, some some cities that nobody knows about: New Jersey, uh, Philadelphia, uh, Baltimore, and then of course Washington D.C. and uh, and yeah, they're all on this Ivy League row too, because we have the major Ivy League colleges, minus Dartmouth and Cornell, all on these, uh, on this ley line here. So again, there's a template; they're conforming to it, and you have that pentagram thing going on in D.C. You also have it going on here, and I've even thought to myself, because here's a here's maybe a better perspective on the actual shape of the pentagram here on the right hand side yeah not a perfect pentagram and now you know obviously they're trying to connect paths and stuff but i almost thought maybe there's some sort of sigil magic going on here where the nine squares of new haven are being sort of traced and they're the like let's say you put a point in one section of the grid and then you trace that to another section of the grid these lines in the middle would be those lines, right? Um, sort of making connections, connect the dots, so to speak. That was my suspicion with with the path work, but it also, you know, could just be a pentagram. I mean, pentagrams are powerful uh, symbols. They they represent the earth. They represent being grounded. They represent uh, Christ and man. Uh, so there's, I mean, there's dozens of interpretations of, of a pentagram. And then there's obviously the nefarious interpretations of the pentagram where you invert them and, mm. you know, hands upside down. and Get the, the bullhorns at the top. Right, right. Now, at the center here of those two pentagrams, you have an eight-sided um, fountain, okay? And there's a flagpole coming out of the fountain. And this is significant, this eight-sided. Thomas Jefferson was obsessed with octagonal architecture. And in Rome, they had, I believe it was the Tower of the Winds, which was octagonal. And these towers, there's multiple Towers of the Winds. They were all octagonal and aligned with one another because an octagon is probably the most efficient shape for this sort of thing, right? You have a lot of different angles that you can connect octagons on a, on a grid, right? If you were to map them out, there's a bunch of different vectors in which you can connect 
so that one line becomes, you know, the side of multiple different octagons. A little bit of that is going on potentially here with this octagon, or so, at the very least, it's a symbol to other people who are in the know saying like, hey, check it out. There's an octagon here that tells you, you know, this so, group is here. So, Mark, is that octagon like as old as the city from when, from when the city was founded, or is it more recent? This is more recent. This, yeah, this construction comes from uh, around the time, I, I believe, at that time, the type of architecture that was vogue was art deco. So we're talking about sort of the uh, end of the history of, of New Haven's architecture. So this is actually one of the newer additions. Okay. Uh, but New Haven has dozens of examples of the different eras of architecture. Right. Um, I'll give you a few examples. So when it comes to the most sort of outlandish, it's probably the uh, cemetery gates, which just look straight out of Egypt. Whoa. I mean, come on. <laughs> Those are, oh, it's just, I'm gone. All right. The dead shall be raised. Wonderful. We've got a couple of pillars there. Two pillars. And then we've got and, the, the sphinxy ladies. We've got the lion, the oh, bull, yeah. the man. Where's the oh, the eagle? I wonder if they this, are legit sphinxes. I, I'm not sure, you know, and I haven't been able to find those in the cemetery. I've been to this cemetery many times, and I don't know where they are sitting. So I got, I'm yet to find those. But um, they're the transdimensional, cemetery. interdimensional sphinxes. <laughs> I think so. I mean, they were evading me, so. <laughs> This is the oldest cemetery in the United States. Wow. Okay. Before that, they were using burial grounds, right? So before this, for the most part, people were either buried in mass graves or just in, you know, your traditional uh, cemetery plot. This was new because it was the first cemetery with streets, you know, and sections and plots for important people and uh it was designed by an important man uh, in new haven's history named james hillhouse and uh you know he 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 designed the idea he didn't design the the gate itself the gate was actually designed by henry austin who modeled it after some prints that he saw from napoleon's recent right uh, yeah. of egypt the temples at dendera I mean, there's the Dendera light bulb, isn't there, that they talk about? I had never heard of that. I got to look into that. So what what stood out to me is the similarity between the poles that are... I'm sorry. The the name is is escaping me. You just said it. Now I'm not... The column. uh, Column. Thank you so much. Uh, The columns remind me of this Ashmoon temple right here in the center. And why did I point to that? Well, there's a man that's buried right behind the gate for one of the first tombstone, sepulcher, you know, uh, sarcophagus things that you see when you go into the cemetery is a man whose last name is Ashmoon. 
His name was Jehudi Ashmoon, and he's buried right at the front. And he's not just some random guy. He's a guy who actually was uh, the founder of the colony of Liberia. Okay, why did he found, why did a man who's buried in New Haven found an African country, you ask? Well, because he and his rich friends wanted to basically uh, wipe their hands clean of the you know, the guilt of slavery and send all of those men and women and children uh, whose you know grandfathers they had taken from Africa and enslaved, they wanted to take these people and bring them back to America, or I'm sorry, Africa, even though they were born at this point in America, right? We're talking no about third, way. fourth generation slaves being taken from America and brought back to Africa because, you know, they, they thought, okay, uh, slavery is not good. It's bad. You know, there's all these abolitionists, you know, I don't think morally it was a problem. I think politically it was a problem with a lot of these elites. Because, I mean, to this day, they, they still engage in, uh, you know, human trafficking and, and don't seem to have much value for human life. So I don't know if it was a moral thing. And especially, you is know, it, is it not more? Their- there's a technical, technological uh, impact as well with industrialization. Uh, it just wasn't as profitable as it used to be owning slaves. Right, right, right. Yeah, let's go back to this and I'll share the screen again when I have uh, something else to show. But anyway, so it wasn't a moral reason. It, like you say, it was it was a technological, industrial need that, that provided uh, a different type of worker was needed now. A different and kind of debt happened. slave. Hello, yeah. we're here. Yeah. <laughs> and that happened in New Haven with Eli Whitney, who uh, basically he didn't invent the cotton gin, but he made it better, right? He improved the cotton gin. And once they improved the cotton gin, well, they didn't need as many people to pick cotton. So they were like, okay, let's just send all these people back to Africa, which is a really you know, vicious thing to do considering a, they, you know, the third, fourth generation, they're not from Africa anymore. And B, these voyages across the Atlantic were very, you know, perilous. A lot of them didn't survive. So um, they wanted to do this. It wasn't a very popular idea. And obviously there are still black people here in America. So that plan did not uh, come to fruition. And uh, yeah, it's just kind of thought of as racist now. I mean, I think New Haven, kind of feels bad about really guilty about that um can i be the, really dark here mark can i just before i forget could another yeah, component be like a, a like a, a racial purification of the new atlantis and uh, that let's yeah, get these black send these black people back to africa so we can have our utopia right. in north well, america that's what was going on especially with the native americans who were also taken as slaves and for the most part, interbred with the existing slaves that came from who knows who elsewhere. So now we have this, you know, group of people who are not just African, they're American because they're, you know, now related to indigenous people through, you know, connection, you know, culture and uh, community. So, yeah, and it, a lot of those Native American, um, you know, early sort of contacted 
by the Europeans. They either became Christian or died. Like that was their options. Like you could either become Christian or we'll kill you or the tribes that were maybe strong enough to fight back, they would fight back a little bit, but eventually they would leave, you know, because what was the, what was it worth? They knew it was a, a battle they couldn't win. They saw more and more people coming by the, by the month, you know, ships of people coming to this country. So it was definitely, yeah, purification type of idea and, and all for this religious objective. You know, it wasn't purely a, a racist one like we're being told now when you go to these Ivy League schools, which oh, everybody in the past was racist. No, that's not. I mean, yeah, in a way. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, for sure. But that's like to boil it down to, oh, they were just racist is so simplifying it. It's simplifying it to the point where we can't even learn from history. So you know, that's kind of what bugs me and, and why I like to sort of beat that point in. Uh, but yeah, Ash Moon is interesting. You know, this guy, he's not a really, you know, they don't, they're not proud of a guy like Ash Moon today. But back then, it's weird because he wasn't from New Haven. He didn't live in New Haven. Yet when he died after coming home from Africa, starting this new colony, he died in Boston and then his body was taken to New Haven and put at the front of the graveyard. And when you learn about Ashmoon, you learn that it's actually the ancient city of Hermopolis, where Hermes was worshipped. And now when you take that into consideration with it, what's everything that's going on at Yale, where they're actually performing alchemy, they, they created the, the Industrial Revolution in many ways, I mean, this is a city worshiping Hermes to this day, New Haven, you know, it, embedded in the stone. They have this sort of, uh, we'll say, syncretic magic that they're adopting from Egypt in order to have Hermes look favorably upon their ventures. And I would argue that he has. I mean, look at how successful these people have been. Uh, they've changed the world with the automobile. They've changed the world, you know, uh, with, I mean, science in the sense that now uh, the ancient paradigm of religion doesn't work as well because now we're told, oh, the earth is billions of years old and we were all monkey people who ate a bunch of mushrooms or something and and then we got a a few thoughts organized and then we organized those thoughts enough to build a pyramid and, you know, and then we forgot how to build the pyramid. And, <laughs> but, but we, but we still, you know, we still are smart. We're smarter than chimps, you know, but this is the story that they're telling us through science, right? And it evolves out of this same nexus of Ivy league. And I don't think it's a coincidence, you know, and a lot of those guys who, you know, uh, Fossil fuels made them rich, right? They called them fossil fuels around the same time that the dinosaurs were being dug up, right? So they're finding all these fossils, putting them in the New Haven Peabody Museum, uh, and they're they're joking, you know, oh, yeah, we're running our cars on fossil fuels, you know, dead dinosaurs in the ground. It's all a part of this same narrative, convincing people Oh, dinosaurs exist. I mean, not that I don't. You know, I don't. Know. Uh, are you say, are you saying dinosaurs are fake and gay? <laughs> I'm saying they're pretty fake. I don't know what's going on. In my, 
they must have been some of them must have been straight if they were you know, <laughs> um but no i yeah i don't know and they probably were gay because if they didn't exist then they couldn't fuck so yeah i don't know i don't know but i I was never the type of person to question dinosaurs. I just took it as, okay, yep, dinosaurs, and then this happened. It's in but a book. Now, now that I see where these paleontologists, for the most part, got their money from, the oil industry, I'm like, huh, that's interesting. Why did the oil industry want to like provoke this research? Why did they want this idea spread? You know, what does this have to do with oil? Why are they funding that? You know, and you find out that Orthennial Marsh, who was basically like uh, the the biggest, baddest paleontologist that ever walked the earth, his whole goal was to out find dinosaurs from this guy that he grew up with. He, him and his buddy, they basically had a, a, a betting match with each other, uh, you know, over who could discover the most dinosaurs. Right. It's called the bone wars of, of the 1800s. So if you're talking about, you know, like uh, a recipe for bullshit, I'd say that's a recipe for bullshit right there. You know, you, you, you're you're competing with your friend uh, to possibly make a whole bunch of money, too. Right. If the oil money is fu- funding all this research and you guys are just like, you know, playing jigsaw puzzle putting different bones next to each other saying oh okay look nope this is now this is a new one see look his tail goes this way you know and they're just playing you know uh i don't know they're just moving bones around i don't know (laughs) they're playing jenga who i don't know what game where you do that but yeah either way i started talking about dinosaurs the architecture is a lot more interesting but since we're talking about dinosaurs Here's a here's a picture of a dinosaur in front of a New Haven building. Oh, right. And uh, what's the thing on the left? It's a guy with a beard. Oh, no, hang on. No, that was the joke. <laughs> oh. the dinosaur. Who's, who's, the, who's the guy with the walrus? Who's the walrus-looking guy? I was about to tell you that's the museum because I'm that. that's how that joke went right over my head. But, okay. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that's Marsh, the guy I mentioned. Oh, the, the paleontologist. Dinosaur. Yeah, yeah. Ah. Mm. Uh, yeah, I mean, you, you don't see many, like, obese people back in them day and age. He obviously did well for himself, didn't he? Eating dinosaurs. Yeah. Eating dinosaur steaks. Yeah. <laughs> Stegosaurus steaks. The bones with the leftovers. I think he's wearing, like, four coats. That was, like, the ah. fashion back then. They <laughs> like... Oh, I'm going to bring that back. Yeah, sweat lords. <laughs> Paleontological sweat lords digging. Oh, man. Yeah, and they probably wore, like, some crazy undergarments too. So, mm. But, yeah, the the uh, the bone wars kind of throw this whole science into question, in my opinion. Uh, you know, it was a sort of uh, youth competition taken in, into adulthood, you know, and, mm. and I don't know if that – boded well for for science but paleontologists they're an interesting bunch i don't want to pick on them too much but it it is interesting to point out that the peabody museum is named for uh, peabody who was an oil another one of these oil tycoons right so whoa it's money from there but now we're at the the mithra shrine (laughs) is that that is that a tall rock tinny there in the background i can't tell it doesn't look like a Torok to me. 
This was pulled somewhere out of uh, mainland Europe, I think somewhere in France, and they pulled it out of a, I think it was like a Roman soldier's mansion, Mm. something like that, like an ancient, like, you know, uh, type of house for someone who is important. And they had a Mithra shrine in their basement. Yale uh, bought this shrine and then reconstructed it here in the university, which I find fascinating because Skull and Bones is essentially a Mithraic cult in the sense that they, too, worship a uh, decapitated head. So (laughs) that would be the school, no? (laughs) Exactly. And And just, just the name Skull and Bones, I mean, that brings to mind the Jolly Roger, the flag of the Templars, and, uh, you know, free, Freemason, the skull and bones symbolism in Freemasonry is, is is overt, you know. Anyone can research that sort of stuff. So, I mean, well, it, 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 does, it does sort of uh, suggest a link between these different cults, mystery traditions, secret societies. Yeah. William Huntington Russell and Alfonso Taft, the founders of Skull and Bones, uh, Russell, his cousin, Samuel Russell, was chief opium importer. So, yeah, he was pretty much a pirate. You know, he was making money uh, out the wazoo shipping opium into the United States from China. So, and and we know how that ended. It ended with the Communist Republic of China. I mean, America has been meddling in China's affairs since the days of the opium wars. These elites, I mean... I've heard some people say they almost use China as like a uh, testing ground, you know, to test basically this totalitarian eugenicist form of government, right? I mean, look at what's happened in China. They took the, you know, I think like something like 500 different ethno groups and, you know, basically genocided it down to 50 and 90% of all Chinese people are part of one major ethnicity. Yes, the the Han, isn't it? Yeah, out of out of something like five hundred, they had five hundred different types of, you know. They're China. still still working on the Uyghurs. That's a that's a work in progress, and the Falun yeah. Gong. Well, anyone who doesn't agree with the party, let's be fair, that's what mm. it's about, isn't it? We but have a it's... different type uh, of that in the United States. We have we have uh, Uyghurs, but we pronounce that with a hard <laughs> I. <laughs> If China would only go after them instead of the real leaders. <laughs> I, f- I find it uh, mind-bending that Yale would decide to import a, a Mithraic shrine. Where is that in the university? Is it like just on display in a corridor? Or is it in a museum yeah. or in a history department? It's in, or? it's in the oldest art gallery in the Western Hemisphere. That's Yale University's art gallery. It's the oldest wow. art gallery on this side of the world and they don't just have that they have actually a huge uh, Assyrian relief of essentially uh, an Anunnaki right you guys have seen maybe ancient aliens where they show the big panel carvings of giant gods with like eagle heads and huge beards and some of them look like they have wristwatches on and yeah, for real, they have that exact one with the wristwatch and I think he's got uh, a human face He's just very large, and then there might be one with an eagle face, but I could be mixing that up. It's been a while since I went in the art gallery because you got to wear a damn face diaper. Still, all over the 
purpose. Yeah. All of, well, because they're a part of this narrative. They're never going to give that up. You got to be vaxxed, waxed, and ready to party. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's just how they roll. Harvard's probably the same way. Like, I want to go into really? the, some of the libraries and look at some, you know, books and stuff. And you have to have a, a card. You have to have proof of, of vaccination. So, yeah. I find it wild. Oh, well, I don't really want to talk about the Soviet Union, but I find it wild how you can enter America with the virus, but you can't enter the America without the magic juice stamp. <laughs> it's like, where is the logic there, man? Right, right. It's ridiculous. Yeah. But it, hopefully it will end. So let's get off that topic because it, it gets me down. <laughs> I hear you. I'm with you. I never talk about it on my show. I call it the medical malpractice of the me- megalomaniacs, the triple M. But, uh, but yeah, the, Yale has a bunch of really interesting stuff. I mean, from I'm, the Skull and Bones tomb to the, the sn- Book and Snake tomb, um, I can show you guys those. I feel like I'm giving you a headache here sharing my screen and then stop sharing. No, it doesn't, share? no it's fine. It's just a click of a button right. at my end. I'm, I'm getting right. quicker. I'm getting better. Look. All right, cool. Keep up. All oh, right. Egyptian revival. So, yeah, that that's sort of like the... Dismiss the header because I need to change that. This is this is the book and snake tomb, sort of a not a great picture of it, just showing you the exact replica, at least that it is. Aside from the um, sort of I don't know what you'd call that pediment there underneath the uh, main triangle at the mm-hmm. top, those carvings. Outside of that, it's an exact replica of the Nike temple. And this book and snake tomb is on the same street as that cemetery gate we were just looking at. It's right across the street. And sure enough, on the other side is Yale Law School, where Hillary Clinton, Bill Clinton, and all the rest have gone to school. So, <laughs> yeah, this is, this is you know, home to many of the world's infamous politicians. They spent some time... Uh, looking at these weird tomb-like buildings, maybe even being mm. invited into them at certain points. I but mean, just going back, what what is that book and snake tomb? I mean, is it is it a literal tomb? Is it a public building? What what is it? So, Skull and Bones, like I said, is not the only secret society. They have other groups, and Book and Snake would be another secret society. So, right. just like Skull and Bones has their tomb. Uh, the Book and Snake has a tomb, and they call them tombs sort of tongue-in-cheek because they're windowless. And uh, this may be because of that art gallery. The first art gallery in the Western Hemisphere was the John Trumbull Art Gallery, and it was made for colonial uh, patriot painter uh, John Trumbull, whose paintings you know, are pretty much like the, the, their historical... You know, gold like they—they're in the Capitol Rotunda, the the Declaration of Independence that everyone's seen. That painting he painted that. So this is you know he's a very important artist in American history. His art gallery was windowless, and it seems like the architect who did that also did the tombs, or at least you know kind of paved the way for that. This gentleman named Henry Austin, his style was sort of influential but i mean even down to the iron gates this book and snake tomb it has as you can see here this caduceus yep. as a as a snake as a fence post there's probably like 
I don't know, 50 or 60 of these, each individual fence post has this exact same snake and torch design. And yeah, it's like, um, why, why choose a hermetic symbol for your gate posts? There's a reason, isn't there? Just, yeah, well, what did we just talk about mm. with this temple, Hermes, right? And yeah. how they're sort of symbolically pulling down the energy of Hermes. And here's the bo- skull and bones tomb, uh, sort of reminiscent of this uh, shrine of, of Seti. Or, you know, it's got this triptych, right? And this is a common occult, especially in occult paintings. So you'll see the triptych employed. You know, mm. Hieronymus Bosch has probably the most famous triptych, um, maybe outside of like, I don't know, Michelangelo or something. But, uh, but yeah, Skull and Bones has this going on with their tomb. And the tomb is kind of like uh, the original one is the one on the left here. You can see at one point in time, they actually built an addition. So they kind of doubled it and made it into what it is today. And that was due to a break-in because in the 1800s, I think it was the class of 1875, somewhere around that time, they had enough of skull and bones because at that point in Yale's history, the secret societies had taken over the culture of Yale and it wasn't fun. You know, they were getting bullied, they were getting paddled, all to become a part of these, you know, elite groups. And uh, some people got fed up and they were like, enough of this, we're going to break in. So they broke in, they called themselves the Order of the File and Claw, and they broke into Skull and Bones' tomb. They took a bunch of pictures uh, and they found out a bunch of things that we probably wouldn't have known about if it wasn't for their bravery. I don't think you could pull something like that off today because Yale's security is pretty steep, but... uh, well, it's well, unless, you, unless you're delivering buns and loaves of bread. <laughs> well, luckily for them, they never had any pastries uh, <laughs> at the tomb, so I didn't get myself into there. But uh, <laughs> but no, no, I did get into the Wolf's Head Lodge, and that's right. that's the old Wolf's Head Lodge. So they their new building is somewhere else, but the old Wolf's Head Lodge uh, I was actually able to go into one time. Um, that's a different story. So yeah, any any of- chickens sacrificed on the floor, anything like that going on? Well, they had remodeled it to be like a, a proper school classroom type of building facility. You know, oh, like they okay. took they they left the outside the same, but the inside is now it's like you know hosts like the Department of Sociology or some <laughs> something like that. You know, but the inside uh, one thing that stayed the same was the dining room. And I found it really interesting that the dining room had a balcony as if somebody could like walk up, you know, somebody would maybe walk up during dinner and give a speech on this balcony, like one story above the ground floor of the, of the uh, dining room. So, you know, you don't see stuff like that in your average dining room, but, uh, but yeah, that was the Wolf's Head Lodge. I was kind of privy to get in there through the delivery job. I was, kind of unique but no i don't think i would have that luck with skull and bones i think they're too smart to have delivery guys you know fumbling about <laughs> it's also very it's also very um it's a very spooky building like showing you guys a picture probably doesn't do it justice but it's a very large you know building like it, it's kind of ominous 
And uh, yeah, some kids broke into it, and that's why they went and doubled it. And then they even built the art gallery in a way so that it would block the tomb from the rest of the neighborhood. So like when you're driving down the main street, now there's this big, huge art gallery with a bridge that goes over the street that the tomb is on. So you can't really even see the tomb unless you know where it is, you know, and that one way street that the tomb is on, you know, not many people go down it. So it's, it's kind of secreted away. Uh, a a cool city, you might say. Exactly, exactly. So, but what I've found is that the, the Skull and Bones tomb is actually built in conjunction with the Grove Street Cemetery. They're all made with thought about position in relation to one another, okay? Right. So I'll share my screen for the last time here okay. just to show you guys Yale's Corpse Road. Now, over there in England, you guys probably have maybe a little bit more familiarity with corpse roads because this is, I believe, a practice uh, by a lot of churches. You know, historically, you would have the church situated near the graveyard somehow, whether it was directly behind the church or down the road. And eventually there'd be lore around this path that ghosts would travel up and down the path between the church and the cemetery. And, you know, maybe witches would stand at the crossroads of these types of roads to sort of engage with the spirits of the dead, right? And we have the New Haven Green, which is at the center of the nine squares, where over 6,000 bodies are buried. Because when New Haven was a colony, they just buried everybody behind the churches that were right there, and they still are right in the center, those three plots right there. So what we have going on here is sort of like a a, a corpse road. And, of course, the tomb, Skull and Bones' tomb, is right behind the art gallery, right? This is the art gallery. This is the bridge that connects the old art gallery with the new art gallery, you know, the oldest art gallery in the Western Hemisphere. And right behind it is the Skull and Bones tomb, And it's on this street that leads directly into the graveyard, right where that arrow ends. That's where the gate is for the uh, skull and bones sort of magical roadway to death. (laughs) We have it goes right by this book and snake tomb, which is right there where number thirty-two. Funny enough, they use number thirty-two. (laughs) And then the Beinecke Rare Book and Manuscript Library is right there as well, which is interesting because it holds in it not only a copy, the only copy of the Voynich Manuscript, but it also holds a copy of the Book of the Dead. Here's the Beinecke Rare Book and Manuscript Library. Uh, Oh, you guys are still catching up. There it is. Okay. And what's really interesting about this building is it kind of looks like a giant book on its side. Mm. And it holds about 10,000 or more books in it, rare books. And, I mean, it's a really amazing structure. The outside panels, they're actually just transparent enough to let enough light in so that the light doesn't damage the books or the paper. See them? They're kind of amber. Yeah. Through them. But yeah, this building is basically like a death chamber because if, if there was a fire, 
uh, there's this system that knocks all the oxygen out of the room so that it would snuff out any flame. But it would also probably end the life of any unfortunate security guard who didn't make it out in time. I think the Vatican Library is the same, if I remember my right. Da Vinci Code. You know, didn't Tom right. Hanks, didn't Tom Hanks nearly, nearly die of asphyxiation in the Vatican Library? Exactly. <laughs> Tracking down exactly. Jesus and Mary. <laughs> exactly. And, and like I said, they have some, some pretty rare stuff here. It's, it's a literal death box on the corpse <laughs> with the book of the dead so you know you can't you can't this isn't this goes beyond coincidence you know i mean it it just it all adds up and to me it feels like new haven's nine square grid with eight streets making that nine square you need eight roads to make a nine square that's the eight divinities of ancient egypt Hermopolis was the city of the sacred eight. They were worshiping their eight deities. And that's what we have going on with these eight streets. We have York Street. We have the York, right? (laughs) Yep, yep. York, right? York. The York, right? What's the York, right? From Freemasonry. Yeah, like Freemasonry. Okay, yeah, yeah. For a second, I got confused with alt-right. I'm like... (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, there's York Street... (laughs) Yeah, York Street, College Street, State Street, George Street, Crown Street, Elm Street, Orange Street, and uh, Church Street. So think about those eight words and like the 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 subtlety, you know, the symbolism, you know, Elm. New Haven's the city of the Elm. The Elm tree's historically been associated with Saturn, the planet of death. Um nine even nine is is associated with saturn it's it's uh yeah it's it's kind of a it's a lot it's a lot to get into i can tell uh, (laughs) i don't know how much how much longer you guys want to go for but well yeah i mean we've we've blown well over i mean i don't want to be here all night i my bladder is going to explode (laughs) any minute now um mark are you okay if we if we wrap up quite shortly yeah, yeah. Is there fine. anything you need to you feel like you need to get out get off your chest or get out get out there before we before we finish? Well, up? if people are interested in hearing more about this New Haven research in maybe a more concise way, I have uh, a new sort of podcast series coming out on the twenty second of this month. So to the My Family Thinks Some Crazy podcast to hear more about that. We're gonna be dropping a very special episode on the 22nd wow and this is a i mean what so this is a series so if if people are already signed up to my family thinks i'm crazy it'll come out on that feed will it essentially yeah they'll yeah. get they'll get the uh the trailer and then if they want to hear the whole show you could sign up on substack or patreon and somewhere maybe in the future i'm going to release it all for free but for now, people who support the show are going to be able to you know, keep up with the project as it comes out and as I'm recording it. But one day I do want to put it out there like, you know, one of these seasons of a podcast. You right. know, that's, that's yeah. nothing to do with, with my show. It's just me as the creator. I have different people on and then we kind of weave the narrative and tell this story because I could just ramble on and on. But I really need to just sit down and put the pieces together. For yeah, people structure to it get it you know will it be a video as well mark or just audio 
video as well. On Rockfin? Yep. Excellent. Well, is there anything else before we go? I don't want you to feel like you've not said no. something that you should have done, Mark, before we wrap up. No, I feel like me and you have talked a lot. I want to know what Ben and Matt think because my family thinks I'm crazy. I think Ben and Matt do too. <laughs> I'm not so sure, man. I think you've uh, you've put forward some interesting ideas there. Certainly, certainly piqued my interest. Right on. We're just okay. skimming. We're skimming the mm. surface here. It's I like know, this I'm... shit goes deep. And so well, much, yeah. especially when you talk about the this historical era you're talking about, the Enlightenment era, it's just so, there's so much going on. Whether it's the, the Freemasonry, the Royal Society, the um, settlers in America. And I didn't even tell you guys about the, the first governor of the state I live in. He was an alchemist who was one of the founding members of the Royal Society, a, a gentleman named John Winthrop the Younger, who was uh, doing all sorts of experiments over here, seeing how he could turn uh, lead and silver into gold. Wow. Here. I've not come across that name unless I'm blanking Winthrop. Well, so he often gets he often gets like kind of left in the shadow of his father, John Winthrop, who was the governor of Massachusetts. So, you know, he's kind of living in his father's shadow a little bit by being the governor of a of a smaller state, uh, Connecticut. He was kind of like a rebellious son. He was like, screw you, dad. I'm going to go do experiments in the forest with the Indians. <laughs> wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, it's a real rabbit hole, this period. I love it. And it's only something I've been getting into in the last couple of years, but it's uh, it's worthy of further study. And, um, well, it's just been great, Mark. Loved yeah. it. And uh, excellent information and more to, to go on, I would say. Yeah, let's yeah, do it again sooner than sooner than a... We'll not a, leave it a year. <laughs> yeah, let's, let's do something next month or something. I like talking to you guys. Cool. Yeah, yeah. let's do that. All right, we'll sign off for part one. Uh, links in the show notes. Sign up to My Family Thinks I'm Crazy. I listen to it. Um, as I said in the show notes, uh, Mark really punches above his weight with the quality, caliber of guests that he gets. It's well worth a listen. If you like our show, if you like America, and you're not listening to My Family Thinks I'm Crazy, then you're crazy because you should be listening to it, man. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay, stand by. We'll be back in 15 minutes for part two. We've got some news, some really interesting... I've got quite a bit to go through, actually, in part two. Wow. Yeah, it's going to be a late one tonight. <laughs> right, stand by. Sayonara. See you soon. See you later. Bye. Bye. Can you hear us in podcast land? Because we're back. The dwarf, the cripple, and the mother of madness. <laughs> Give us, oh. a, give us a thumbs up in the chat if you can hear the audio. I'll do my usual audio. Okay. Oh, look, she's... Uh, Question mark. Helen of Yorkshire is stirring up trouble again in the chat. Freaking men menace. Menace, isn't she? Yeah. <laughs> give me a doubt myself. Yeah, that was our chat with Mark from My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast. It's good. What? What? It's not, me. It's not yeah. me, is it? Ben's trying to initiate an infinite doom loop on the audio. <laughs> God, many, so close. How many stream going on in the, <laughs> in the background with a 30-second delay? Uh, 
as I said in the show, highly recommended. If you like our stuff, you like the kind of guests we get, um, if you're a fan of Grimerica, all these sort of esoteric subjects, alternative history, occult, mm. um, highly recommended. He puts a lot of work into his podcast. The, yeah. Um, I, I, I wait to see the rest of the slides. I know, but, you know, we, we sort of waffled on. No, for half an hour before we even got to the first one. Yeah, I didn't even know. He didn't even say he was bringing slides. I know. So sneaky. Uh, yeah. So high production values, high quality guests. It's worth checking out, and the link is in the show notes down below. You can uh, find Mark's podcast there. Fantastic. Yeah, and uh, fill your boots. Far wheel. Yeah. Save Plotland. Shall we do some headlines? We better get on with it, aren't we? <laughs> Time is marching on. It's five past ten. Get comfy. Capital letters, a big news story. Headlines of the week. What have we got here? First one, alien mothership could be sending probes to monitor Earth, says Pentagon reports. I'm glad we're covering this on the podcast because I never got a chance to read about it. Yeah, it's more Project Blue Beam, soft disclosure, bullshittery. In my opinion. They're here, man. Well, well, okay. Uh, Officials from the Pentagon have laid bare the possibility of an alien mothership visiting our solar system and directing probes to Earth, much like NASA have been doing when studying other planets. In a draft research report released on March 7th and drafted by the United States Department of Defense's Old Domain Anomaly Resolution Office. Wow. R-O. What's the acronym? R-O. Yeah, double A-R-O. Uh, director Sean Kirkpatrick and Avi Loeb, who... Loeb. Avi Loeb. Or Avi Loeb. Loeb. We should... Uh, maybe we should get him on. Do you think he'd come on? He's been on Robbie's podcast. <laughs> Everyone's oh, wow. been Robbie, Robbie gets everyone. <laughs> Robbie's had Clinton on, hasn't he? <laughs> Steve Clinton. <laughs> yes, Steve Clinton. He, has, he had Lee Harvey Oswald on. Uh uh, Arvi Loeb, the chairman of Harvard University's astronomy department, um, they've suggested that there could be a large craft out in space monitoring our planet. Just uh, laughing at us. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, fucking, <laughs> fucking idiots. Fucking. Are you retarded? <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> Can't even build a pyramid straight. Yeah. Unbesmegging leaveable. <laughs> Can't build a pyramid straight. Rubbish. Uh, yeah, they wrote in this, in this release, um, quote, an artificial interstellar object could potentially be a parent craft that releases many small probes during its close passage to Earth. Uh, an operational construct. These dandelion seeds could be separated from the planet craft by the tidal gravitational force of the sun or by a manoeuvring capability. Um, ARO was created in July 2022 and their aim is to track everything and anything unidentified in the sky. In space and underwater. That's a big remit, isn't it? <laughs> Shit. And even objects that have the ability to journey from one domain to the next. Congress asked NASA to find 90% of objects more than the size of 100 metres in diameter in 2005 with Pan-STARRS telescopes constructed. Uh, yeah. You remember that story 18 um, years ago? Pan-STARRS <coughs> found a few comets. Oh, near-Earth objects? Yeah. Yes. shone brightly over the last decade. Well, this led to the discovery of the long, thin, pencil-shaped... Oh, Urabura. Umamu. Umamu. Iranu. Do you remember this oh, from you, a few years ago? This was the uh, the co- conical... 
Not the, conical. No. The cigar. The tube. The galactic cigar. Yeah. The floating tube. Yeah, an unidentified interstellar object that left no comet trail. When it was initially discovered, some scientists thought it was artificial. And even now, opinion is divided on the mysterious object. The report continued, quote, With proper design, these tiny probes would reach the Earth or other solar systems' planets for exploration as the parent craft passes within a fraction of the Earth-Sun separation, just like Umamua did. <laughs> Cylindrical. Yeah, yeah, it was... That's the shape, isn't it? I think so, yeah. Not conical. Yeah. Penile. Uh, Phallic. God, I, I overheard a disturbing conversation about penises recently. I don't think I should go into it. From whom? About the curvature. Who from? I'm not going to say. Colleagues or your children? <laughs> yeah, yeah, Mick the Plasterer. <laughs> <laughs> Talking about how he prefers a curved penis. Oh, right. He's a okay. shill. He's a curved penis shill. Everyone knows penises are flat. <laughs> <laughs> Two weeks to flatten the cock. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God, you could use that horrible hammer. <laughs> what? What are you pocking at? This one. Pocking? <laughs> what are you pointing at? <laughs> that, was a, that was a hybrid word between pointing and looking. What are you parking at? That. The, uh, my the gavel. flattener. If you like me, uh, well, stream droppers, this is my ancient order of druids gavel. I mean, it almost... Meeting adjourned. Ooh, it almost it. says the Army's Inquisition. We need someone, oh, yeah, needs, it does. So, someone needs to fabricate a brass eye. Uh, a brass eye. Go sharpie. Yeah. <laughs> a brass eye. Yeah. For the end. Ooh. <laughs> yeah. I reckon I could do that. Right, okay. Yeah. Well, that, that's your homework then. With a hacksaw. It won't be centralised, <laughs> would it? No, you've got to do it with copper chisels. <laughs> <laughs> Bullshit, man. <laughs> okay. I was going to use a special resonance. Oh, yeah, frequency. Of uh, the brass, yeah. Yeah, cymatic <laughs> resonance yeah. to mould. Whistle the tune. The matter of the brass. Yeah. Emma says, I've got a toffee hammer to serve justice. There you go. Oh, oh. I'd be attacked by a toffee hammer. No. Uh, they've got a sharp side, haven't they, as well, a toffee hammer? Well, yes, it's like um, a wedge, is it not? A w- yeah, a wedge. A wedge and then a little ball. <laughs> I'd imagine a, a toffee hammer will pierce bone and skin <laughs> very severely. It, it of would the, fuck you up. Yeah. <laughs> toffee the, hammer. The condensation of the atoms in a small head <laughs> wielded with force. Mm. Might even split atoms. Oh <laughs> <laughs> All right, next one. Man who tattooed his Tesco club card onto his arm has earned just eighteen pounds in points. But he doesn't have to carry his Tesco club card around anymore. Well, so. this is it. Well, this is it. It's yeah. a winner. Sorry, quick slope. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Tesco supervan. Super fan or super van? The Tesco super fan who got his club card tattooed on his wrist has only saved £18 worth of points. Dean Mayhew, 31, said he got the QR code permanently inked on his arm because he would keep forgetting it. It's been eight months since he went public with his tattoo and he still has no regrets. The dad of three uses the tat twice a day and sends... Are you reading a comment? No, 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 no. It's not that I didn't think it was that funny. Uh, the dad of three uses the tat twice a day and sends photos to his friends so they can use it too. He hopes by the end of the year we'll have saved enough to cover the cost of his Christmas food shop. The scaffolder, as it all, 
from is that Bidford, Devon? I, it's it's Bidford. Yeah, it's red. It, it's written as Bideford, but I, I think it, I think it is it Bidford. Bidford. The no, scaffolder Bidford. from, from Bidford. Bidford, Devon said. I still use it all the time. <laughs> I love the tattoo so much. Sometimes when I go in there, the cashier doesn't believe it's real. <laughs> I have to tell them, just scan it, please, and they're shocked. <laughs> Everything's going up in price, so I'm always making sure I get it scanned now. With the points, I'm going to save them up and save towards the cost of Christmas. When Dean first got the tattoo, he headed straight to his local Tesco Express to try it out. Would you like to see some video evidence? Oh, yes. Well, yes. yes. Here he comes. What is tattoo off my fucking arm, please? <laughs> Maryland cookies, a good choice. I well, say. yeah. I find them a bit dull, to be honest with you. The, the purple packet ones are better. <laughs> Get you. Double chocolate. Yeah, what do you want? Well, I prefer a chocolate hobnob over a Maryland cookie. Oh, yeah. oh we can't be a chocolate hobnob. Let's us forget the story of, you know, you quadruple dunking chocolate hobnobs or chocolate digesters, whatever you do, you're a fucking animal. That's the only Quadruple dunk. It's the only way to eat them. You need a substantial biscuit, biscuit for a four dunk. You mean a subs- Yeah, hobnobs are like yeah. the, the fucking wow. SAS of dunking biscuits, no? I, no, I think that's oh, like a flimsy rich nuts. tea. <laughs> ginger nut. Oh, I'm melting and they wobble off yeah. and drop yeah. in. Rich teas. No man's biscuit. <laughs> Digestives. Digest is a solid to a point and then they crack. Right. You know, they're like, oh, I'm holding on, I'm holding on. And then you get a crack and it slips into the brew. Mm. But hobnobs, um, you know, with adequate timing, you might get a bit of a flake coming off and dip it into the brew. I'll tell you what the problem with hobnobs is. A single oat. They are crummy. They are crummy. They leave crumbs in your brew when you're a a dunking. Do you not... um... Mouth sediment. the biscuit before putting it in your brew in Just order to wipe off the crumbs. Pre-moisten the biscuit. Yeah, it <laughs> wipes or- off the crumbs, yeah. In order to sexually <laughs> gratify anyone who's watching, yeah. Well, if people would get you, out and find out, it's not my problem. Would you dunk it? a Jaffa cake? <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> I have done that, yeah. <laughs> yeah of course Good. you would. I've Sick. tested all biscuits and cakes. Uh, to be fair, Jaffa cakes aren't a biscuit. They're, well, no. they're a cake biscuit. They're a cake. That's proven in a court of law. Because yes, I believe so. Is it because biscuits Winchester versus McVitie, two thousand six. They made a giant Jaffa cake right. in court to prove that Jaffa cakes are cakes. Right. Okay. And uh, the difference is, is it VAT? Well, that's what the, the court case was about. It was about VAT because cakes are. Described in tax law as a luxury good. Yeah. And therefore, uh, Jaffa Cakes should be uh, liable to VAT. And McVitie's were having none of it. Mm-hmm. And uh, they lost. Mm. And the main difference is biscuits are hard. And when they go off, they go soft. Cakes <laughs> are soft. And when they go off, they go hard. Yes. Like, Jaffa cakes. What are Jaffa Cakes? They They're go soft. Hard. And then they go hard. The, yeah. They're quite yeah. nice, though, when they're a bit hot. Yeah, well. they do. They've got a bit of bite to them. Yeah, a little crunch. Yeah. They've got a little al dente, I Ooh. believe it's the term. And a, a better dunking influence, probably. Yeah, I imagine so. But yeah, four chocolate digestives in a single dunk is, you know, how I roll. I wonder what the record is. I don't know. I, oh, I guess Guinness online. The, I reckon there I can must do be. It. You must have to time the dunk as well. You can't just go, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, winner. It's just have a, to it's be a single dunk. 
Yeah, but how long is the dunk? How long is it submerged? Is it what's the speed of the dunking? Right. So I think you two are you're on you're misconstruing each other's Guinness record here. Are you saying that the longest dunk? No, a single biscuit, the most number of dunks. Exactly. And I think were you thinking the most amount of biscuits you could dunk at one time <laughs> and eat? God. The greatest amount of mass of exactly, yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, that's another one. Of course. You're there with a, a cauldron of tea. <laughs> yeah. How long can biscuits. a biscuit remain submerged and still maintain its integrity? Depends on the temperature of the tea. <laughs> oh, of course, it? It for does. God's sake, fucking amateur! Wow, what kind of biscuit dunker are you? Cold tea. Ugh. <laughs> uh, where was it? <laughs> we played the clip dinner. No, yeah. we didn't even get past the clip. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah, Maryland cookies. That's where we're up to. Yeah, scan his Maryland in. Yeah. Is it going to work? It's going to scan his barcode now on his wrist. His club card QR code. Here we go. Don't forget to scan or tap your club card. How do I? No, I don't think will, mate. Oh, no. Uh, no. I mean, don't even what fucking work. Uh, what the farage? <laughs> I mean, oh. how much was the tattoo? More than eighteen quid, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> it was better. It was even the greatest irony. Oh, I think it does. It don't work, mate. <laughs> it don't work. He has to go. Oh, get, get an angle on it. My last jokes. Hey! Hey. It actually works. Yeah, well, no, it doesn't. You had to get a professional cashier. You need a gun counter. Yeah, Yeah, so unlucky. It'll work for a year or so, but once all the the checkouts are self service, your your club card points are screwed, Mick. Whatever you call Big Dundee. Dean. (laughs) Dean May. Yeah. Well, there we go. That was delightful. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he said it will help out a lot, especially this year with everything going up in price. I definitely don't regret getting the tattoo. His aspirations don't oh. stop here. Right. As Deed now plans to get a tattoo of his nectar card for when he shops at Sainsbury's. I, I mean, Tesco and Sainsbury's are quite expensive, aren't they? You could just shop somewhere cheaper, save mm. money. Mm. Sorry, I cut you off. He said, uh, I could use the, the one on my phone, but I want to use the one on my arm as it's funny. Uh, <sighs> He'll be on Love Island next year. I yeah. will. I'll, I'll skip the next card tattoo and just get fucking corporate simp tattooed across your forehead, wow. I would suggest. Oh, what was that? <laughs> oh, my God. Pressing the wrong fucking... They know what they're doing, Leo. Housekeeping. I don't know what I'm doing. Housekeeping. This is a value for value podcast. If you find this podcast valuable, please consider it as a value. There's a myriad of ways of doing this. My favourite way, as ever, is word of mouth. Uh, Spreading the message of what we do here, whether it's sending links in your Facebook groups, Discord servers, um, Element servers. We have an Element server because we're not allowed a Discord server anymore. Um, telegram, telegram groups, wherever, wherever you are online in the in the webosphere, mm. share some links and uh, help us grow. 
grow. I like when people perch the carrot was the my penis. Oh, someone's uh, dredged that up from the past. The, the Bluetooth channel on, on the, the Queef Master Pro 2 is, is useless. Okay. It's, only, it's only any good for the uh, intro and outro music. It cuts off the first few seconds of every clip. Wow. So you can buy, you know, like real Shakespeare mugs. Yeah. Um, oh, loot chest. Yeah. Did you, did you mention the loot chest? chest? Sorry, is. I was... Yeah. Uh, Perchy I've got some photos, some uh, photographic examples here. There's, There's a, comes. a bacon nuts t-shirt there. You can get a bacon nuts mug. Genuine There's all sorts. Shakespeare. Like, these aren't the only things we have on there. There's all sorts of mugs and t-shirts. Three weeks to flatten the earth. Literally a communist hoodie and the uh, logo t-shirt. Yeah. I mean, colours. there's only so much time in a year that you can use taking screenshots of the loot chest, and that, and that time has been expended. But you're right, there are other options available. You yeah. need to pay a visit. You can, uh, If you watch the video, you can um, hit the like button, hit the bell, subscribe, uh, leave us comments. I've got a, a comment here from YouTube, which I thought was worth highlighting. Uh, this wow. is from Pete Yarell, and this is a comment in response to our, our video with uh, our podcast with Terry Boardman, the spiritual war crash course. What's the funny about Terry Boardman? No, nothing. I was wondering if uh, this was one that Matt missed. What? Yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah. Matt, oh, it was. Matt? Okay. Matt wasn't in it. No. Yeah, no. Uh, this from Pete Yarell. Wow. Thank you, Phil and Ben, for asking questions, serious questions, and allowing Terry to answer without interruption. There are so, so many superlatives I could offer about this most marvellous overview. How important is the humanising element that a biography brings? Not in a million years would I have thought that Terry was a dancer, let alone a techno one. Wonderful. That's because we were talking about uh, Rudolf Steiner's... um, Oh, my gosh, what's the... Movements. What was it? Eurythmy. Eurythmy. I don't know if the Eurythmics were named after Eurythmy by Rudolf Steiner, but anyway. Uh, Terry's insights into the 60s, his explanation of how the awakening free intellect amongst church leaders caused the anathemas and persecutions, his very clear portrayal of evil, its purpose and its four faces. Uh, that was like Aruman, um, Sauron. <laughs> Saruman. Darth Vader. <laughs> And um, Baron Greenback. <laughs> Baron Greenback, yeah, Simon Cowell. Uh, Terry's insight, I've read that. Steiner said that dietary changes support changes in consciousness. And so the East ate grains, veggies, and beans, expansive, pacifying plant foods. The middle of the East added fish, and the elite English went full Monty into animal flesh. Sailors ate salted mutton. Steiner pointed out that animal food contracts consciousness, fosters materialism, supports a selfish warring mentality, sensuality, and courage. I will end my rave here. Many thanks to all. Cheers, Pete. I thought it was delicious, though, isn't it? Oh yeah, yeah. I'm I'm, I'm you. I thought it was a good comment. Yeah, it was good. Yeah, thanks, Pete. Eloquently put comment that I thought was worth highlighting. Definitely. Uh, Also, another message from Insta. I might highlight here, uh, if I can find it. Well, I've got to crack on. We're, we're running behind. This is from, oh, Rambo Moon. It's from Rambo Moon. Uh, now, no gender or nationality, no in, clue in the message. It's from where the this, moon. Rambo Moon. From. Is it a man then? I don't know. Yeah. 
Yeah, let's go. Do a man. A man from the moon. <laughs> no moon accent. Oh, Holland. Right. Okay. <laughs> Hi, guys. A great podcast. <laughs> Thanks for the many hours of entertainment. Have you ever looked at the Warminster Triangle, UFO sightings, and the thing? Apparently, Warminster has 13 ley lines that cross over. It is close to Stonehenge. Oh, where we're going. This is okay. another reason why I highlighted this comment. Oh. Um, and uh, a military base. A flock of pigeons fell from the sky, killed by sound waves in 1965, according to the world's greatest alien abduction mysteries from Chancellor Press. It claims... <laughs> what are we doing? Two UFO sightings per week between 1964-2001, when the book was released. Is it monitoring Salisbury Plain, military bases, or does it come from mutton, porridge, and warm beers? Thanks for all the laughters and silliness, high strangeness and fun. Thank you. Excellent comment. Wow, mm. yeah. Warminster, right? I'll see if it's... Uh... <coughs> Is it in the agenda? I'll have a Probably look. Probably not. I'll no, we, we, just, we just booked Stonehenge in a premier yeah, in. It's it. there. It's that's just, it. it's just it's a place. It's like 13 light lines confluencing. In Stonehenge? It's not even a word. You char- charge your energies. Yeah. We're just going to the pub near Avebury Circle, aren't we? And then I think so. Getting wrecked, riggedy riggedy wrecked. Mm. Yeah, I've got to get up uh, super early the next day and drive to uh, Glastonbury and climb the tour. Oh, oh God, it sounds <laughs> energetic. Oh no! Um, uh, how else can you be do, become a producer? You can send us some artwork. We have new show artwork every week. You can either email us it to the Inquisition at gmail dot com. Or post it in the element server. Link in the show notes for that as well. Um, no submission this week, so I knocked up this. Now you've deviated from usual art style yeah. here, Philip. Why? Well, you've that picture is not the same as the others. No, that it didn't start as a photograph. I don't think. No, that's directly off Mark's um, oh, show okay. artwork. All right, I couldn't um, find a good quality real life <clears throat> image of Mark. That's, that's which talent, I could, to be which able I could not be in any photos. Yes, yeah, right, that's <laughs> unusual, good, isn't it? it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, we like uh, so our artwork submissions. You can send them to us, and we'll happily use them. Mm. Um, that's been like it's just not happened this year, has it? Not really. Like, like last year, we must have had 20, 30 submissions of artwork. Oh, yeah, yeah, loads. People and, have been busy getting married and stuff. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, if you're an artistic, if you have an artistic uh, bent, send it to us. Yeah. Is that it? Um, Focus Chi, we doing that still? Anyone this week want any Focus Chi? No, we haven't got any, but you can explain what it is. Well, Focus Chi is where we we send some Chi in your general direction for... (laughs) Uh, an aim you may have uh, perhaps you've got an exam coming up or a particularly um, challenging task ahead of you and you want a little bit of focus from other people maybe you maybe have an initiation own. ceremony coming up maybe uh, skull maybe. and bones or something yes you need some help you can call on us to focus our chi energy in your sort of vague direction and uh, it, it works with a 99.7% Efficiency rate, I think we're at now. I would say so. Yeah, I think that's pretty good. If Thank you got ninety nine point seven on your skull and bones exam, you'd, you'd definitely pass. 
with flying colours. Um, send us guest suggestions. Send us news articles. Join the Element server. Yeah, Element server is the big one. That's what we rely on for like the news stories for part mm. two and stuff. Um, mm. And there's not enough people in there. Like, what did we have? Like what, about seventy people in the Discord. I think so. Before it before it was terminated. Yeah. And now, how many's in the Element? Like ten or something. And the link is in every show notes, isn't it? Yeah, and you don't have to download the app. You can do it via web browser, mm-hmm. um, and you can connect with us there and uh, uh, join the burgeoning community and get involved. Uh, mm. Drop your eavesdropping ways and become a producer. Mm. Yeah. Emma Bridges on the chat says, "I need help getting up to go to the gym tomorrow." I think I think that is that a focus cheer request. Do you think? I think, I think so. Well, I think you're out of luck because I don't think I've got it on the board. Uh needs charging, doesn't it? We can do it next week. Oh, we'll do it now. Eyes down looking. Right, we're going to send some chi, focus hard to Emma Bridges. Eyes down looking. Okay. China is asshole. Because I'm literally a communist. Hope that helps. Hope you get up in the morning and get to the gym, Emma. Mm. Didn't specify a time, so sorry if you're up at 2 a.m. Star jumps. 2 a.m. I can't help it. The cheese overpowering me. Yeah. Uh, All right. What's the best way to become a producer? Toss us a coin. Absolutely. Toss a coin to us, your witches. Go to the armistichristian.com and you find a PayPal button there and you give us a one-off donation. Sign up for a a monthly recurring sustaining donation. Tiff of the lads. Lads, lads, lads. You know, save Plotland. We need your help to uh, keep the lights on, keep the heat. Although it's fucking boiling in here. I've I've done it with the heat, but you know. Super hot. Oh my gosh, yeah. Uh, but yeah, we appreciate monetary donations. This is we a value do. for value podcast, as we keep saying. Nothing's behind paywalls. Um, we don't, you know, put, have sponsors and no. adverts no. and things. So These druidic gavels don't buy themselves, you know. Do you know how much uh, an ancient order of druid wand? Is this, is, is this a magic wand or is it a mace? I don't know. <laughs> a bit of both, I think. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we need we need money for moon whistles and penny <laughs> <laughs> moon pies and penny whistles, moon whistles and penny pies. <laughs> <laughs> yes, only you fuckers can save Plotland and keep the shit show going. All right, I think it's time to thank the producers then for episode two hundred and seventy-four. Would you not say? Make yes. It so. Is it time? It's time <laughs> to big up the man Dems. Okay. Yo. Who have we got? Producers oh. for episode 1274. We have Martin Young, Richard Morris, Helen and Rambo Moon. They are. Yeah. So amazing. So amazing in their love. And literally the best mate. Oh, Willie G. Because I'm literally a communist. The dwarfs, the currants, the grape, the doctor of thugonomics, the homophobe, the wings, the chest feeding, communist, the base sigma chat, the corn pop, the baby penis, inner asshole, the dime bar, the number 11, the bee gun on the back.
Blast. The blind man. The big Chungus. The cripple and the mother of... Let me pick you in! From hell. Chungus never seems so sus. Let me on. <laughs> Are you retarded? So sus, so sus. He bends to... I don't get it, never will. Electrical. Thanks for your support for another week and uh, keeping the lights on. It's much appreciated. Can I say how, how stirred and inspired I am? I know, yeah. <laughs> that pad. Switching it up. I've uh, decided to inject some chaos into the podcast. Wow. Because I don't normally do that. <laughs> you like that? You like that inspirational the, um, cinematic music? Jurassic Park soundtrack. <laughs> I mean, if it isn't, it should be. It should be, shouldn't, shouldn't it? Yeah. yeah. Oh, right. Okay, let's do a movie review. Oh, yeah. There's a new uh, Evil Dead film out. Ah, oh, right. You Evil Dead Rise. Yeah, well, have you watched it? No. What was that? I don't think there's any... <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Morty. I don't think there's any need to because I found an excellent review on Twitter. This is from Atom, the Atom Review. Hashtag Evil Dead Rise review. Beyond terrifying and surprising, a very violent horror pick... That keeps you on the edge of the seat and beats you off. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Where, so, where, where's it showing? I know. <laughs> like, um, should we go like right after this podcast? Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. Yeah. That's, uh, that's um, quite a claim, isn't it? Mm. Wow. Gotta watch it. <laughs> Have you ever been beaten off by a film? <laughs> well, you're gonna say a zombie then. <laughs> A zombie yeah, film. Many times. Mm. <laughs> Friday. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Christ, the art's not in it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm literally a communist. Oh, Jesus. How's this? Right. Do you want to do some local news then? Yeah, go on in. How local? Priest Town. Well, yeah, okay. Uh, the Burger King. This is from Lancashire Live. Lancs Live. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is Craig Harker. I have to find the picture now. On his, oh. on his birthday, he ordered what he reckons is the UK's biggest burger. After demanding Burger King stack his bun with 36 beef patties, one for each year he's been alive on this earth. It cost Craig £53. <laughs> 49 pence for the regular Whopper with an additional 35 patties, a side of fries and and a diet Coke. <laughs> God. Better make it a diet, mate. Wow. <laughs> Look at the stain. That looks absolutely disgusting. <laughs> yeah. And the burger's horrible too. <laughs> do, you, do you remember when we used to go to Nafia? Oh, God. There, was a, there was a takeaway. Up Good times. Yeah. Across Chili the, burger. The college we used to go to, yeah. there was a takeaway called Nafia. Mm-hmm. And uh, you just get cheeseburger and chips there every day, pretty much. Yeah. And um, you could have a cheeseburger yep. or you could have a half pound cheeseburger and chips. Yeah. Do you remember the guy, mm. the story, the guy who... I can't remember. I I, didn't, I know it's been shut down because it's, it's. Oh no! There's a guy who went to college with who got a pound burger. No, <laughs> no. 
No, that's mythical. Fuck's sake, I didn't even go to college. How come I know this? And you because don't. you were hanging outside <laughs> takeaways. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> across the road. Well, it was across the road from the pub I used to play pool in. What was the I've pub been on in the that, corner? That the King, King Edward? I think it was, yeah. Edward the It's not seven. there anymore now. No, it's not there. It's all been gentrified now, isn't it? No. <laughs> Absolutely <laughs> not. Just pulled it down and built, a, I think, the extended the college, basically. Mm. Yeah. Is Nafia still there? Because that was on the other side of the road. I don't know if those shops Sits are there. Is still there, I think, the shop. I don't know. Pass. Oh, memories. Mm. It's all very different now. It's all been, they've like doubled the size of it, I think. I believe. The college. Mm. It I burnt down whilst we were there, didn't I, it? I worked there about 20 years ago. Right. When they were doing something in the drama, like the, the hall. Right. And they used to put on music events and stuff, but. I was on there a couple of days to make up the numbers. They're really doing anything. Balance the books. So there is a an experienced apprentice. Oh right, nice. I remember uh, my I was up on a scaffold tower, and my boss, who owned the company, and the head of the college were underneath me. And it was that moment I decided to drop my drill off the scaffold tower. <laughs> no, you didn't. Yeah, it landed right next to them. <laughs> <laughs> Must have shit their pants. <laughs> and uh, I remember my boss looking up at me, smiling, going, You all right there, Phil? <laughs> yeah. Eds. Wouldn't <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, get away with it now. You've got to have tow boards around every scaffold tower now. So well, that's that why. Well, yeah, yeah, but you know, well, fucking get out of my way. What are you doing? Stood right next to me, scaffold tower, you prick. Exactly, yeah. Well, you're yeah. asking to get something land on your head. <laughs> mm. Sorry. Just went back in time twenty years to a, a gobby, a gobshite. Well, more of a gobshite, if you can believe that. What I am now. Um, should we move on? I'm trying to rattle through this quick because we've yeah. so much. We had a lot to get through. We're doing well now. We've only got, um, you know, two or three uh, more things to talk about. Okay. Smash I feel on. like I'm pushing fast and not giving you any chance to. It's fine. Express no, it's yourself. fine. We will express. When necessary. You express best milk? Uh, no. Are you not a chest feeder? I'm not. No. Chest I mean, feeding? I could, I probably would. <laughs> what have you got? I turned it off. God, it's it feels off. like... Oh, it's so hot. Would you like me to unblock the vent? It's my organs. My organs are going crazy tonight. I'm just red hot. I have my, like, I don't know, something. Maybe I'm ill. You need to do okay. the opposite of accumulating... Excommunicate them. <laughs> yeah, excommunicate your organs. Is that like focus cheap? Zapping mm. it out. Possibly. What's it called? The cloud gun. Cloud buster. Cloud buster, cloud buster yeah. It's tubes. Giant tubes. Yeah. Seems to be. Yeah. Oh, Reading a good book at minute, though. Uh, I'm reading uh, Origins of the Gods by Andrew Collins and Greg Little. Andrew Collins, yeah, is a great author in the esoteric alt history realm. English guy who would be an excellent guest. He's one of the guys, it's like Randall, I'm too intimidated to ask him um, in case he says no. Uh, I think we could get Greg, though. Greg's been on Nikki's show, Nikki right. Hannah's show. And uh, they, they collaborate on books. It's interesting. The first half of the book is written by Greg, and the second half is written by Andrew. But they tie in together. Nice. But... um Really interesting stuff about, again, like we're talking with Mark, Native American um, 
ancient history and the mound builders and shamanism and stuff like that. Much uh, Greg is like expert in all that stuff. And Andrew's bit, the second half of the book, Christ, he goes to, back to ancient Judaism. All those biblical stories that interest me, the esoteric aspects of them, the patriarchs and uh, plasma, sentient plasma discharges. Never heard it called that before. Quantum theory, uh, quantum entanglement, really interesting stuff. I might do. A, I might review it for the next newsletter, which will come out in a, a week or two. Phil's having the menopause. Maybe, yeah. What is the menopause? It's where you wake up at five forty in the morning. You'll be all right for Stonehenge then. It's not happened this way. No. Mm. Not, not anymore then. The moon has obviously changed its phase, and I'm back in my regular cycle. Yeah. From pounding those mid-strength beers helps. <laughs> Definitely helps. I'm going to sleep like a baby tonight. And so fair. Like a drunken baby. <laughs> <laughs> With a beard. Because I'm literally a communist. Is that the, oh. the only clip that works? The communist? <laughs> <laughs> Talking about. How dare you. Happy birthday, Hugh Janus. How dare you? <laughs> can't do it. I can't no. think. I can't no. think fast. I've no. had too many. You know, the problem is that Mark um, is so... Um, don't blame Mark. <laughs> yeah, I am going to. I'm going to blame Mark. He's, he's such a good communicator, mm-hmm. a good talker, seasoned, pod- seasoned podcaster. Um, when we get guests who can talk as well as Mark does, I just end up pounding the fucking beers then, don't I? And then by the time we get to quarter 11, I'm fucking smashed. Yeah, not literally. Found some low strength waters. Yeah, I, do. Uh, I don't know. It's part of the routine now. It's like I don't know. Like it's it's different when it's video. When we were just audio only, I just used to get stoned and drink port. Yeah, oh, God, I think that I was worse. That <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what I do on the rum springers. Yeah. On the, not the rum springers, the uh, barn raisins. Yeah. Barn raisins. The audio only. By the way, if, if you only watch us on YouTube, we do a. This is audio as well and um the last show of every month is a barn raising where there's no video it's audio only mm, yep. and it's it's loosey-goosey there's none of this shit no sound effects no guests no fancy stuff going on it's just it's just uh shit talk pub talk might have a road trip though next, yeah next yeah time. probably won't have one next week no but you know just for future reference you know mm. anyway let's move on um We've mentioned I've mentioned Grime America twice today, tonight, because um, I'm a huge fan of their podcasts and fortunate to be in, to be in the position where we've we've met. We know Graham and Darren now, yeah, and I, yeah. I'm in regular communication with Graham. I follow them on social media and stuff. And uh, there's a really interesting video came up on Grime America's Instagram reel. Here it comes. There's an Italian startup called Capable that have designed a line of knitted garments that protect you from the facial recognition software and AI cameras without the need to cover your face. The manifesto collection includes hoodies, pants, t-shirts, and dresses that all feature a pattern known as an adversarial patch, which was developed by AI algorithms to confuse facial recognition software in real time and protect the wearer's privacy. Giraffe. This is totally legit. This is a legit clothing clothing brand. So what what actually is it the pattern on the garment that confuses mm, the camera, yeah. or is there something in the garment? Can't find your face because of the pattern. They use similar wow. stuff for 
normal cameras to stop uh, the flash and the autofocus working. So some celebrities use those garments when they're out and about so the paparazzi can't get them. And you, oh. you can overcome it with manual focus, like a real photographer would use. Oh. But, um, <clears throat> and they do the same with cars. You'll, you might see prototype cars wrapped in like a weird zebra print. I have seen that, yeah. Um, and that's to confuse the cameras as well, to stop them getting photographed and put in auto yeah. car or whatever car magazines. Oh, are. really? Yeah, but this is something completely different because, well, related, it looks like it's next level. Like the, the what were they called? The the dazzle ships? Yes, yeah, in, in World, World War, War II. One. 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 one, I think. One of them. Yeah. And zebras. It's interesting. Um, I mean, I wonder whether this uh, capable brand is maybe uh, a government operation. Well, I was just going to say, is it to hyper-focus the AI? Well, it's like, it's like, oh my gosh, talk about the people who were, who were concerned about facial recognition and the people walking around dressed like twats, aren't they? Yeah. <laughs> There's an Italian star garments that protect you from the facial... Good state. I know they do. They don't, recognition software they don't look AI cameras without the need to cover your face. The manifesto. <laughs> the trousers are, are on fleek. It's like, okay, you're not recognized by facial recognition, but you stand out like a sore thumb. It's like, hello, I'm a dissident. <laughs> Arrest me. With uh, what? What's the rules in the UK? Is it 60 days without trial now? Oh, I don't know. Or is it 40 days? Don't know. Without trial without being charged without uh right to have a lawyer right the anti-terrorism laws i think right. it's worse in the states mm. guantanamo bay they kept them there for years mm-hmm. these guys in the in the january 6th stuff just lots of up, lots of up, and well, we'll worry about them later so there's part of me that wonders like you know is this just a psyop to uh get people wear outlandish clothing <laughs> exactly it might be i'm yeah. in i i'm all over this <laughs> Quite seventies, isn't it? I like it. I uh, yeah, it could have done to AI to come out in the seventies, and it would have fitted in a little bit better with the, the, the clothing, with the cultural milieu. What goes around comes around. I've been to a few gigs this last week, and there's been people with like blonde curtains from the nineties coming back. A lot of mustaches as well, and oversized clothes. Yeah, like colours of Benetton style jackets and things like that. Mm-hmm. So what the nineties is bang. What on gig was moment. it? I went to the Mad Ferret. It was one of the um, fundraiser fundraiser gigs. Yeah, I. All uh, oh, right, I worked for the guy who puts them on this week. Ed, no, yeah, yeah, Ed Monk. Yeah, I went to his house this week. Very good. Um, yeah, I know. I bet this guy was there. Hi. Yes. <laughs> oh, yeah. Absolutely. He loves Hi. that shit. Can I get a flat white? Hi. Can I get a flat white, please? Of course. He needs to take that fucking broomstick out of his ass. He doesn't really fucking comes up to the counter there. You see him just go boom. straight. It's like straight as an arrow. Uh-huh. Uh, oh dear. Uh, I mean, they have to pay out one hundred fifty thousand, one hundred fifty-nine thousand billion dollars lead. Fucking hell. Uh, okay. Um, right. Oh, Bootsy Collins. I just yeah. my my eyes were just drawn to Bootsy Collins. Parliament. <laughs> Bootsy Collins' wardrobe would slay facial recognition. True. Definitely. Yeah. You'd have to bring the funk with you. Funky ball of tits. The mothership. 
Oh, right, yes, yes. Yeah, my kids love Parliament. Have you ever played Parliament for your kids? No. Oh, my God, Parliament, Bob Marley. Can't get enough of it. What goes around comes around. Nothing new under the sun. My uh, my seven-year-old asks for Buffalo Soldier to be played in, as soon as we enter the car to go to Aldi on Saturday morning because he want, he feels there's a correlation right, between okay. the time it takes to drive to Aldi and the length of Buffalo Soldier. Right, okay. He's doing some sacred geometry. Maybe. As a child. There's a resonance there, maybe. Mm. He might be the next Isaac Newton. Who knows? The next alchemist. Yeah. It's pretty wild. If he gets off uh, Fortnite, he might have a chance, yeah. <laughs> Too busy slaying. <laughs> right, um, we had a clip, um, a story sent to us on the element, and Helen demanded that we play this. Oh, here we go. So I'm going to have to, and it's about uh, the arrest. <laughs> Actually, I want to free my arse. Well, I don't think we've got a choice. I, I, maybe I'm a tight arse. Mm. What are you? Are you slack arse? Yeah. Slack ass? Yeah, unfortunately. Right. At least your ass will follow through. <laughs> she hit enter before sending. Free your mind. Okay, he's free your mind, Quade. It's not free. It's open your mind. Well, no, open, your open your mind. <laughs> We almost got through it without open your mind. It's never gonna happen. Referencing Total Recall, but there you go. Get to Aston Mars. I'll get to Bassett Cohagen. Play the clip. Charge demand. 31-year-old Dwayne Townsend is charged with indecent exposure and disorderly conduct on several occasions dating back to November of 2018. And you see, that's what the problem is. Now, it's a beautiful day. I want to come outside with my shirt off, and I was just jogging, trying to get my body back in shape. And all of a sudden, I get hit stick like I'm on Madden, just boom, out of nowhere by a cop. And, uh, you know, it scared the hell out of me. I was so scared, y'all, I didn't on myself. And I'm talking about I was wet. I was wetter than a well in a bubble bath drinking a bottle of water. Okay? And to myself, I said, indecent exposure? Hold up. Wait a minute. Something ain't right. What you want me to do? I'm a man. You want me to put on a bra? Man, that bra strap will snap like a bungee cord. Just go. And, you know, I just came out of court. And they just gave me two court dates. One for each titty. <laughs> it's had a fantastic response. Hold up. Wait a minute. Something right. Why <laughs> is he massive or has he got a tiny hat? <laughs> I'd love that hat. I'd wear that hat with those trousers we saw earlier. Yeah. Yeah. Was that a pork pie? I think it was. No, it was a bowler. A bowler, hat. sorry, yeah, but was it a, a bowler small hat? bowler. It was a bowler hat. It was a, ta- it was a, ta- a child's charged bowler demand. hat. 31 year old Dwayne Townsend is charged with indecent exposure and disorderly conduct on several occasions dating back to November of 2018. And you see, that's what the It is a bowler. Now, yeah. it's a beautiful day. I want to come outside. Yeah. Bowler, bowler hat confirmed. Why? Illum- Illuminati confirmed. <laughs> what the fuck? Puffy! 
did it. <laughs> what was he doing in order to get done for indecent exposure? He's jogging, with his shirt off. Jogging topless. Yeah, I know, but, but he's a man. Is this... Is he like slapping his bitch tits or something? Being provocative know. with them? I don't, I don't know. know. Right. Okay. Uh, it's an old story. I did some research. Yeah, because that I've heard that clip isolated and used on something. Hold, Hold up. up. It's a different guy. Is it? I think this chap is referencing right. the previous guy. Right. Okay. Hold up. Because it's deeper. Right. Hold up. Wait a minute. Wait. Something right. Mm. Whereas he's like, hold up, wait a minute, something ain't right. Yeah. So, where is he now? Well, I think he's in prison. He's probably rotting in jail. Yeah, yeah. three strike rule. It's a life sentence. He, he, he got a speeding ticket, and then he was caught with a spliff, and then he got done for this. Life in jail. Shit. Thank you, you're making number plates <laughs> for the rest of your life. Mm. That's oh, what happened so to Red, uh, Rick Ross. Rick Ross, when he got sent down on the three strike rule, illiterate, went to prison, taught himself how to read, taught himself the law, got himself acquitted. Acquitted. Mm. Lawyers didn't want to know. The lawyers, the state provided defense attorneys, uh, let him rot in jail and he had to educate himself, teach himself how to read, how to learn the law, and then he acquitted himself. That's how fucked up it is. It is fucked up. Private prisons. Exactly, yeah. Bad idea, man. But I mean, what's the alternative? State run prisons. It's like, it's all corrupt. Uh, well, stay out of prison, I guess. That's the best thing you can do, isn't it? Yeah. It's probably easier nice. said than done. Is it? <laughs> no. no, I think, I think, I mean, touched on this. It's only a matter of time. Ever more things become are becoming more illegal, aren't they? Do you think it's going that way? Well, like, yeah. It's more prohibitive. Yeah. Well, so, so just says a, what? well, I don't know. I think of, there's, a, there's a whole. They're probably all right, but you know, to do, just to do with the internet, a raft of laws, oh. or you know, just to do with driving. Uh, the thing uh, is, yeah. it's more laws. Yeah. So, we have all sorts of laws about things like slander, defamation, harassment, mm-hmm. and now they're bringing in this online safety bill. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of extra laws. That are unnecessary because if the police or the CPS use the laws that are in place, mm-hmm. harassing someone online is no different from harassing someone in a pub. Mm-hmm. You know, but they want more laws. Well, it's, it's what their job is. The, the, the legislature, their job is to write laws. Yeah. And uh, so they'll just write laws for the sake of it. And that's how we end up with like a tax code. That's as wide as fucking Marble Arch. Yeah, that's crazy. When this, it's really, it should be really simple. And guess what? But this is why it won't happen because if you make it really simple, there's no loopholes. And so these fuckers who, like Facebook, you pay zero tax, would have to pay tax. That's why they lobby against simplifying of the tax code. But they'll come after sole traders, mm. <laughs> you know, because to get some old deer pays them in 40 quid cash for an hour's call-out or something. And uh, you end up with a situation where I pay more income tax than Facebook. Yeah. It's ridiculous. But, sorry, <sighs> off my salt box. Off each tea. I, I, I tried to stay off it all night, but, you know. Willie G. Never happens. No. I do try. <laughs> um, okay, I think it's nearly time to go. 
It is. Um, yeah, it it's definitely. definitely time to go. Yeah. Some sad news this week for the Destiny 2 community. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And the um, Wire community and the Fringe community. Zavala. Yeah. Lance. Explain. What? Zavala died. Lance Reddick has uh, passed know, away. The actor Lance Reddick. The actor Lance Reddick, yeah. Did you ever, did you ever watch The Wire? No. <laughs> no. I, tried I to watched watch... Fringe, though, all the Fringe. He was in that. I tried to watch, start watching The Wire, I think, a few times, but I've never been able to get into it. No. Everyone, like, creams over it. So like, like Ian Wright. Yeah, cream all over it. Um, <laughs> but, uh, no. No. Anyway, he's dead now, so. so there yeah, you it's go. too late 60, now. 60, young. Yeah. Yeah, he died. Uh, the actor, Lance Reddick, he died, uh, was it three night, three days ago, I think. I think it was mm. Thursday. Um, six years old, natural causes, unexpectedly. Mm. Because and uh, if he's ripped as well, like in good shape. But the uh, the press agent and the family said it was natural causes, which is a shame. You don't expect that at sixty. No, no. no. Um, and um, I went on Twitter. It was quite um, heartwarming, actually, because we we us three played Destiny. Well, you don't play anymore, Ben. I'm, only because I'm rubbish. You should I'm, try I'm, again. Things have changed. I might. No, the sandbox in, keeps changing. In um, memory of Lance, I may join on, on Wednesday. On Wednesday. Bullshit. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. So we, we play on a Wednesday night, we play on Destiny 2 and go in the Crucible and slay. And uh, it's a massive sort of open world team-based game. It's one of the biggest games on the planet, I think. You know, mm. outside of sort of Fortnite. Yeah, and, I think uh, so. Rocket League and stuff. And... Uh, there's the, like the main hub where the characters where you go to to get your bounties and to interact with the NPCs is called the Tower, and Zavala, who's the character in the game who was voiced by Lance Reddick, was like the leader. He was the commander of the Guardians. He was the most important character in the game, and he has a little section on the Tower where you would go and visit him periodically to get bounties and do strikes and stuff. And I went on Twitter, and it was incredibly heartwarming, the sort of... Um, uh, sentiment? Yeah, the sentiment, the... Um, where you give a... That's fine. I think you've, you've summed it up. No, um, it's not the word I'm looking for. Where you project a sentiment. Sym- sympathy? <laughs> It's not props. It's like props. Kudos? <laughs> yeah, whatever. Um, people were... Uh, all the fellow Guardians were going to the tower and uh, celebrating the life of the actor there in the 3D realm. I found it quite moving. I've got one example here. So you have all, the, all these real people going to the tower and forming like a guard of honour for this computer-generated character who was voiced by the actor. This is just one example out of dozens that were on Twitter. Oh. I thought this was quite moving. Maybe I'm just a, a soft shit. Oh, it's moving in circles. Yeah. It means something to people, you know. Yeah. Uh, Destiny 1, when did Destiny 1 come out? 2010, maybe? No, I don't know. even know if it's that old, you know. Uh, <laughs> is it not? I think so. I think I Destiny Two came out the quite quickly. Quite 
soon after um, uh, Destiny One, and Destiny Two's been around for much longer than Destiny One. I, think. I thought I thought Destiny One came out with the PS4, but maybe I'm wrong. No, I think you're right. I think it was a a launch game. I think it was in a pack with the console. It was a, in a pack with a white PlayStation Four Pro. Right. So it's it's been a part of people's lives, you know, mm-hmm. and how they spend their time. So that's why it's meaningful to some people. I thought yeah. so. It was nice that people went and paid respects to someone who they've never met, they don't know, but there's obviously some sort of connection there. You've been nice. listening to this character talk to them for years, you know. Mm-hmm. That is going to go away now, and he has such a unique voice as well. You know that the range of his voice is quite unique, mm-hmm. and his delivery is quite unique. So. Zavala. Mm. Indeed. Indeed. God. It won't be replaced, you know. And yeah. there's, there's, a, there's a debate now within the domestic, the, the Destiny community. How do you proceed? Do you mm-hmm. algorithmatize his voice and fake it up? Or do you write some sort of story yeah. into the next season, use dialogue that's already been recorded and chop it up to make it sense, have it make sense with the narrative and. Mm take the character out that way and like Geekamon's like no I want Zavar to stay forever you know they can't get rid of him so I don't know maybe it'll just be his ghost yeah that you can talk to well there's a monument to K6 at the tower so maybe they'll they'll put a monument who knows Mm. Mm. uh, find out watch this space in space Mm. right Shall we sign off? Yeah. I think it's about time, isn't it? Yep. It's 11.02. Oof. Oh. Willie G. Shungus. Never seem so... <laughs> right. Uh, let's praise Javelon and all of the Elohim. Yep. Let's put my shoe on. <laughs> yeah. God, there was a lot of fucking around with that gimp. That was weird, then. I, I was looking over at you. Your mouth was moving. <laughs> it was a recording. I know. <laughs> I wear diapers. Are you retarded? Are you retarded? And I got news for you. That means you're gay. Veganism's a sale. There's no doubt about it. <laughs> People I- like Bush. <laughs> <laughs> Not the band. <laughs> well, Wagwan fam, you're going to some Wiltshire. Yeah, yeah. 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 Stonehenge next week, mm. so we probably won't be Imagine. here. No, we might uh, shoot some B-roll for, yeah. uh, for the socials. Maybe. Never know. I'm a set. <laughs> so uh, yeah, so we'll see you in a couple of weeks. Yeah. Look after yourselves. You know. It will Stay be April. two meters apart. Yeah. I smoke drugs. Give me. <laughs> I smoke drugs. Bullshit. Right, see you next week. Well, no. Won't see you next week. Might see you next week. Might not. Might do some live stuff on YouTube or something with the old phone at Stonehenge. Yeah. The old, the old cone phone. The cone phone. The Stonehenge. To my phone. Where the moon is fat and the dust doth blow and the druid is fat. <laughs> Got a two-mile hike from the car park. Not a great plan. Yeah, bring your boots. <laughs> Have you got walking boots? 
No. I've got cons, though. I've got Converse All Stars. Yeah. Chuck Sailors. Never failed me. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. And the canvas one's not God, sh- God shoes. <laughs> <laughs> Lord, I'll, be, I'll be in God mode. My Connie All Stars. Oh, uh, let's get a poncho yeah. from the uh, from the gift shop. If we're it we're going to have to. Uh, yeah, well, you got caught sucking, sucking your fingers, fingers on, on the bus. bus. Wow. You know, we're going to end Absolutely. up stretching him across the fields, aren't we? I think just we'll just drag him by them. Don't sacrifice me on the mercy seat on the on the pumice stone. <laughs> what a way to go! <laughs> Ground down. <laughs> I love you. What's it called, the main seat at Stonehenge, where they did all the sacrificing? I don't know. I don't I know. That's where we're going. You've done no research. It's like, they did sacrifices That's there. That's what the guidebook's for. <laughs> <laughs> oh, in English heritage will tell me the truth. <laughs> <laughs> Epic dub. Am I going to have to wear a dressing gown? <laughs> Run, boy. Respect. <laughs> oh, yes. yeah, yeah. Bring your dragon one. I've got, yeah, that's my kimono. It's too far too short for <laughs> for public use. I suppose some karate pants underneath it. I might do, yeah. Uh, a purple belt. <laughs> yeah. No? Apple hood and mother pie. Mother pie. Right, yes, we're going there, so we'll do that, and we will see you on the other side. Thank you for watching. Okay. See you, see you later. Ta-ra! Uh, Tati bye! Goodbye. We will go dress as wizards. We will. Yeah. We Grand do. wizards. <laughs> Big white hood. <laughs> In Chuck Taylor's. We're fucking uh, my ancient order of druids bitch whacker. Who's got the biggest uh, cock? Uh, not me, but I've got this. Are you going to take that? <laughs> well, why not? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm in the ancient order of druids. A, a what do you do reasons. with big jungles? I beat him over the head with this. Well, yeah. I'm going to give him the fat end. <laughs> Can we go now? No, the, the the music just is infinite. So <laughs> oh, if, you, if you keep talking, I'm just going to keep playing condensed. clips. You know, it's who do you think you are? Literally a communist. <clears throat> yeah, we're going to have to go. Yeah. A wank. <laughs> <laughs> a wank, I think. People I... like Bush. <laughs> I'm too stupid. Okay. That's it, man. Game over, man. Uh, Game over. Awful. If we do not meet again, know how proud I am of what you have done.